never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 235 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we're talking about bars, those rooms where we traded our crippling emotional problems for our equally crippling physical and psychological dependencies. Amen. Yay. And we're here already. And, well, well, I suppose we can get it out of the way. Let's quit. New alcohol! <laughs> the cause of <laughs> and solution to, to all, all of life's problems. problems. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, so we are talking... About bars. bars. Yeah, we've talked about alcohol before, but these are the rooms that we consumed them in back when we could afford to go to bars. Well, I mean, it it's a little bit less of the can't. Re- Not for me. I can't afford it. Can, I don't know. It's just the time. Well, sure, and it's also, it's not that I couldn't afford to buy a beer at a bar. It's that it's so much cheaper at home, and usually my beer's better. Yeah, no, and, and my thing is like it's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> too mean, loud, too many people there. My yeah, dog's not like, there. Next thing you know, like someone's talking to you, and like ah, oh, just no, no. He only smokes when he drinks, and he only drinks alone. And nobody's talking to him anyway, so. Aw. No, they do, and 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 I don't I don't understand why. Like I've I've done everything on my power to like make make me look like don't talk to me, and people still come up and talk to me. I don't get it. Good point. That why the hell are we here? It didn't take long to get here. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not known for making good decisions. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. If you like bad decisions, you may like listening to the shows on the Podcast Collective. Wait, that went weird. <laughs> Such as the Coffin Joe cast, Dating Baggage, the Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, Mint and Box cast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. <laughs> There's nothing out of pad on that one. Pat, guitar solo. He hit the he hit the whammy bar there at the end. He didn't. <laughs> yeah, um, I can't beat that one. That was. You're you're so def- such a defeatist, man. <laughs> the, gla- the glass isn't half full. It is not half empty. It's who drank my fucking glass. I win. <laughs> oh, it's not empty. Where is my glass? Do we have any I listener wanna, feedback? I want to know why. Someone is drinking my bourbon. <laughs> well, if you want to give listener feedback, it's at 708 now wrap, 708 669 9727, and looking for our older stuff. iBloons? iBloons? iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, blah, 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 blah. We have, no, we have no voicemails. We have no voicemails. Even if we had some, we have no voicemails. I'm pretty sure we don't actually this week. Yeah. Well, well, I guess it's about that time then. I guess it is. Wow. This week in music, movies, and TV. How was that? I don't know. That was this week. We are going with August 20th, 1993. That is the year Patrick Whaley turned 21. <laughs> wow. That was over two decades ago, Pat. I know. Aww. Coming up on three decades. Uh, yeah. Wait, should that say 1993 or 1893? 
She did. She did. Thank you, Lucy. What is that? Did you? <laughs> and then he he played his tambourine and wandered off into the night. <laughs> and then my dog jumped in my lap. <laughs> well, and then Chewie was shaking. That was the tambourine. Oh, <laughs> a lot going on there. So, Joel, music, music. Somebody made it easy on me this week. Yeah, there was literally I literally could find nothing. Even like albums released, there was nothing good. All right. Huh. So the top song in the land was Can't Help Falling in Love by UB40. That's not the acronym of the week, by the way. And what does their name mean? Does anybody remember? We've talked Refer- about that. Reference to a German boat. No. The large, large wooden ship. No. You, you, you don't, it's not nautical it mean, at all. It means diversity. No. What? No. <laughs> I don't think diversity is an old, old wooden ship, Ron. Well, agree to disagree. <laughs> When in Rome. <laughs> when in Rome. <laughs> any, do any of you know it, Joel? I don't know. Huh? No? I have no idea. Oh, Josh? Uh, no, I don't even have a funny guess. Oh, UB40 is actually the um, unemployment benefits form you fill out in Great Britain. Huh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So. Yeah, we yeah, didn't come right. over that before, but I did not remember what it was. UB40, unemployment benefits for I still don't plural. like them. Why not? Come on. You like them uh, a little bit. Because Music stinks. You like them a little. Everyone likes them a little. No, I don't. I don't. I really don't. Just I change the channel every time it comes on. Don't like the song. Just a little bit. No. Yeah. You do. No. No. Just, not at all. Pat, I'm gonna like them twice for every time Pat doesn't like them. <laughs> Pat, they can't help falling in love with you. Well, yeah. Get in line. It's just like at the bar. <laughs> Movies. <laughs> the top movie in the land was The Fugitive. Ta-da. Yeah. I think we all love that movie. We've had this discussion. Yeah, it's we pretty have. good, yeah. It has aged less well than I'd hoped, but it's still good. It's one of those movies, you know, when I'm scrolling past it and I see it, I'd have to watch it. Hey, it's got Joey Pants. That's all you need to know. And it's got, got the janitor. Yeah. It's got my uh, seventh grade teacher. I think it's got some guy named Harrison Ford. Little known actor. A lot of independent stuff. That was Mike's seventh grade teacher. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a one-armed man. You find that man? No, for real. I don't care. Okay, for actually, for real. She's in. She was. Uh, she was an extra in the um, in the hospital scenes. Yeah, and uh, my friend Susie is an extra in the when when uh, when he's leaving. You know, right before he gets, they they shoot at him when his foot is caught in the thing. Yeah. Like when one of the elevator doors open, you can plainly see my friend Susie standing right there. Yeah. Well, my mom, my mom's uh, extra in when he's in the in the dam. <laughs> <laughs> he was the dam. <laughs> <laughs> we've had this discussion before about how uh, we have we have friends that are extras in movies. And I think it, I think it started when we were talking about Fugitive too. Uh, yeah, I think we've done this whole thing before. The damn. I mean, I know that this week has been covered before because I found a couple of facts that were very you know we'd already covered before. So we've been in this week in the in this vicinity of this week before. Damn. All right. Popular leading man in the 1940s through the 1960s, Stuart Granger was the first man to play Alan Quatermain in a film version of King Solomon's Mines. He was also the last man to play Stuart Granger when he died of cancer on August 16th. (laughs) Absorbed. The hell was that? (laughs) Uh, Okay. He became a foghorn for some reason. (laughs) Luciano? (laughs) <laughs> Luciano Charles Scorsese, father of film director Martin Scorsese and the son of Sicilian immigrants, was born in New York City. In 1980, he made his first film appearance in Raging Bull. 
He was featured in Goodfellas in 1990, portraying Vinny, who was based on the real-life gangster Thomas Agro. Charles was... <laughs> Charles was taken care of by God in another crushing victory on August 23rd. Hey, absorbed over here. <laughs> hey, I'm getting absorbed over here. <laughs> See, my dog's being good. She's asleep. It's like, it's like, we, it's like we always say, hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> Movies released this week included Hard Target, Surf Ninjas, The Man Without a Face, Fatherhood, Needful Things, and Son of the Pink Panther. That's a very mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, Pink, Son of the Pink Panther wasn't exactly the best out of the Pink Panther movies. No, that's the one with uh, Benini. It's, it's just awful. It's... Cornbread Earl and Father. <laughs> oh, man. I'd already forgotten about Cornbread Earl. Oh, how could you forget about Cornbread Earl? Taking it back. <laughs> Re-listening to that episode, I realized at one point Mike thought it was Cornbread Earl and me. Like, Cornbread was his own guy. Oh, no, it was Josh, not not Mike, because you thought there needed to be an Oxford comma in there. Yeah. Pink so Man. television. Cornbread Earl? TV. The top shows in the land are 60 Minutes, Home Improvement, Seinfeld, and Roseanne. Ah, uh, yes. And the acronym of the week. Space Quest is on. <laughs> T-A-O-B-C-J premiered this week. Of course, that's tattooing ants on Benedict Cumberbatch's jaw. <laughs> Boy, talk about a niche work, man. Yeah. At least you didn't go with anuses. I, you know, I almost went there. <laughs> you, you tried to stay classy. Yeah. San Diego. And I tried to not fuck up Benedict Cumberbatch's name, too, but that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which is uh, woefully underrated. All hail the chin. Oh, yeah. Bruce Campbell in a sci-fi X-Files-ish Western. Speaking of jaw. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. Shut up, Windows. Um, a diminutive man at 411 Hall, Sidney Arnold, was a comedy actor in the English theater and on television. He had an abundance of energy that saw him working well into his 90s. He was a stalwart of the light comedy series with a regular guest appearances on The Benny Hill Show, among other, many others. He played one of the pirates in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. He was also one of the founding fathers of British actors' equity. And he died on August 20th from shortness of breath. Wait, is that a thing? <laughs> and yeah, that was just a pun. Huh. It was was he the little guy that Benny Hill would always smack on the head and chase him around? Yep. Aw, now I'm sad. <laughs> I remember when Benny Hill died and everyone was like, he was a very sexist man. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was the point. You get the joke then. <laughs> I miss him. Benny, I used, Benny Hill actually is a lot funnier than I remember him being. I First boobs I ever saw were on the Benny Hill show. Amen to that. Ah, uh, yes. They snuck a lot of shit by the censors on that show. Yeah, they did. Uh, so uh, August 30th, The Late Show with David Letterman premiered on CBS with guest Bill Murray and musical guest Billy Joel. That probably was a pretty good show. Yeah, I would say that the Bill Murray is in there, where the older I get, the funnier Bill Murray and Benny Hill get, and the less funny Dennis Leary gets. And Dane Cook. Yeah. And Billy well, Joel. I'm 
at least Dane Cook didn't steal all of his good material. True. Dane Cook. I, where did I see Dane Cook recently? Uh, he was a bit part in American, American Gods. Gods. That's right. He was the uh, the uh, best friend. He, yeah, he was who, who screwed yeah. over Shadow in in the flashback. Yeah. When I saw him, it took me a while. I had to. I was going to ask if you'd been to Taco Bell recently. All right. So. Um, the BK Lounge. It's got his <laughs> yeah, the BK Lounge. <laughs> Tom. Fuccello was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1936. Initially a theater actor, his first notable screen role was a daytime soap opera, Love is a Many-Splendored Thing. He later had a recurring role in the daytime soap opera, One Life to Live, and had stints on Dallas, Knott's Landing, Simon & Simon, The Colbys, Falcon Crest, Beverly Hills 90210, and his last role was in The Young and the Restless in 1992 before he died from AIDS-related illness in 1993. Wow, a lot of death. Yeah. Hang on. I'm looking at this dude. And I think you said his name right. I, I... Tom Ficello. It was yeah. a bad week to be a celebrity. It was all I could find. Oh, I know this guy. Yeah. Holy oh. crap, but apparently it was a good week for cricket. I'm looking ahead, and there's like two pages of cricket facts. <laughs> it's, it's actually one paragraph. All right. Moving on to sports. <clears throat> Multiple MLB pitching record holder... Nolan Ryan had his last career victory on August 15th as the Rangers beat the Indians 4-1. to It had been declared his final season, and it was his still-record 324th win. Two games later, he tore the ligament in his arm and was sent to retirement a few months early. Oh, sent to pasture. Yep. Sent to, well, like, literally, he actually he, he is a farmer now. He has a cattle ranch. Hmm. <laughs> so he was sent to pasture. <laughs> Good for him. Did they... he's, he's known down here for, like, the, the you know, Nolan Ryan steaks. Is he being studded? Well, I would imagine so. If you know, if you were Nolan Ryan, you'd be wasting your time if you weren't. <laughs> oh. I mean, he's one of those guys that I'm sure you guys even know the name. Oh yeah, Nolan yes. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because he has so goddamn many pitching records. He's the o- okay. Let me put it. Let me, let me put it this way. He's the only guy that will ever, I'm I'm sure ever in the history of of the world, strike out seven pairs of fathers and sons. That is ridiculous yeah like seven seven major league baseball father and son combos huh that's kind of crazy pants yeah he has 11 no hitters like the closest to him is like four (laughs) yeah he was he was amazing hey if he got it flaunted i guess and he threw two pitches after he tore his ligament in that game to see if he you know because before they knew he had actually torn it and one of them was registered at 92 miles an hour Jesus Christ, that's that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> that is, I I couldn't I couldn't write ninety two miles an hour with a torn <laughs> ligament, much less pitch one, right? That's crazy pants. Yep, he says anyone again. write that fast with normal hands? No, he would say he couldn't write the phrase ninety two miles an hour with a torn ligament. Oh, thought that was weird. Yeah, yeah, that's. All right, moving on. Born January 14th to Uh-oh. Professor <laughs> Professor Dinkar Balwant Diodahar. <laughs> that name, I'm sorry, that name is not funny unless it has Professor in front of it. <laughs> right? That's Professor Dinkar. I mean, he's he in the Zeppelin. 
that's the best part. Because I, I looked it up. I'm like, was that just a nickname? Oh, no, he was a real professor. <laughs> I think we've just named my next Call of Cthulhu character. <laughs> Dinkar, Balwant, Yodhar. Oh, but he's got to be Professor Dinkar. Professor. <laughs> was an Indian cricketer who played first-class cricket from 1911 to 1948. Popularly, no, popularly, why did I have so trouble with that word? Popularly known as the grand old man of Indian cricket. Mm. He was an aggressive right-hand batsman and also a bowler known for his leg breaks. In his first-class <laughs> career, he played 81 matches, scoring 4,522 runs at an average of 39.32 with a high score of 246. He was vice president of the BCCI, the president of the Maharashtra Cricket Association, and also a national selector. The Diodhar Trophy, a limited overs interzonal cricket tournament played in India since 1973, is named after him. In 1996, the Indian Post issued a commemorative stamp in his honor. A statue of D.B. Diodhar was unveiled at Pune's Sahara Cricket Stadium in 2012. All that is just to say, this guy is someone in cricket. Like I, I guarantee you, if you mention this name to somebody that knows cricket, they're going to know this guy. Hmm. Yeah. So we need to remember this name. Professor Dinkar Balwant Diodar. Professor Deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, he is the only Indian first-class cricketer known to have lived to 100, as he was 101 years old at the time of his death on August 24th. God damn. Good for him. Wow. The grand old man, indeed. That is ridiculous. But Absolutely. holy crap. <laughs> I just realized that if I actually wanted to play Professor D.B. Deodhar in Call of Cthulhu, he'd be like 30. Oh, yeah, for the time period? Yeah. yeah, he was born in 1892, so in the 1920s. That'd be perfect. It'd be perfect. Yeah. And you, you have to t- whenever you have to you know, take a break, he's like, he's off playing cricket. He yeah, carries a cricket bat as his weapon. Ooh, very nice. I like nice. it. And it's got like runes on it and shit. Yes. Oh, he's got a magic cricket bat. No wonder he was so good. He lived <laughs> to 101 years old because he found, oh man, he had the yellow sign. He's a character that specializes in leg breaks. What does that mean? <laughs> Is that a thing? We had, I don't think we've ever said that before. No, it's, it's uh, when, when, you, um, when you're throwing specifically at their legs and you know, it's, it's like fucking them up so they can't hit the ball, you know? That's... Because it's not illegal to hit them with the ball. In yeah, cricket. I know we 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 talked about that, but it's well, that's still... what I like. Is like when you're when you're when you're so good at throwing the ball to where it goes towards their legs that they have to like jump away to you know, and it fucks up their swing and everything. That's what yeah, he was good at. That's cricket is a lot more violent than I was ever expecting it to be. Yeah, for a game that you know is it involves tea breaks. Yeah, there's a <laughs> <laughs> right a gentleman's game. Yeah. All right, and the last fact for the twee, uh on August 23rd. Fred McGriff and David Justice of the Atlanta Braves became the sixth pair of players in MLB history to hit back-to-back home runs twice in the same game. Nice. Cool. So there you go. Take us out, Keyboard Joel. So this week's theme is bars. Oh, and I also want to toss it in there that we are actually show 334, not 335, because somebody... 334? 334. 234. 230, 234, that's correct. I'll... All right, you know what? Whatever, you guys count them yourself. No, um, no, I mean, no, I'm what? just asking you. I'll change it. It's, it's easy. Boom, no, it's cool. no, I'm right. not. Five, four, three, <laughs> two. 
All right, so this week we are talking about bars. Um, so the then is going to be a little bit less into our like childhood childhood and a little bit more into our college years. Or maybe for you. Well, I don't know. I went to bars when I was a kid. My grandfather used to take me to the corner tavern all the time after we'd go pick up the rent for the apartment buildings that he owned. I started bartending when I was 16. What? Yeah. Oh, we'll Texas. Get we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. So first question. Further then, pre-2000, what did you look for in a bar around the college years? Cheap. Cheap. Close. <laughs> Place it wouldn't card. card me. Yeah. <laughs> no carding, cheap, able to wander home when you need to, even though Josh and I went out on that one bar crawl and we got lost like two blocks from the uh, from the apartment. House. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I remember at least one time I came back from bar crawling, realized to my horror my keys were inside the apartment and everyone else was gone, so I had to kick in the back door. Had to. <laughs> I could have used a window, I guess. <laughs> Either that or sleep drunk on the porch. Again. <laughs> so, yeah, so bars... I think of it as cosplaying homeless. <laughs> it's cosplaying. Aw. All right, so then... Um, we we're kind of picking up on college. So Circle Inn was that? That's the one that was on that kind of like angled. Yeah, it was right across the street from the bowling alley. Okay, which took us a half an hour to figure out how to get to, even though it was only two blocks away. Was that the one that turned into the Beacon Pub then? No, yeah. Beacon Pub uh, was down the street. It was oh, it had an Irish name before it was the Beacon. O'Sullivan's. Ah, okay, yeah. Oh, O'Sullivan's is right above it. Those are the same place. Okay. Here, I'll get rid of that, and I'll... Okay, so w- what does no one beats Pepe mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? I've been wondering. <laughs> when we lived at the house, Josh and I... I mean, Josh is more than me, but uh, we frequented Circle Inn, and yeah. uh, there was a regular named Pepe who pretty much ran the pool table whenever he wanted. He was the best pool player regular... And this guy showed up one night, you know, and it was this typical place where you you put your quarters up on the pool table to reserve your game. And Pepe would like, you know, once he got in line, you know, you just ended up playing him all night because, you know, he'd win, you know, 20 out of 21 games. And this guy showed up one night. Nobody had ever seen him. And he just started just slapping Pepe around, basically. And <laughs> Pepe couldn't beat him. And Josh and I are like, he beat Pepe. <laughs> no one beats Pepe. <laughs> Yeah, this squat little Mexican guy with a half mustache barely talked, but like, yeah, he destroyed everybody except this new dude at pool. Huh. I don't think we ever saw the new guy again. No, it was a one-time appearance. He was like, he was like the the man with no name just showed up and kicked ass and left. Pepe probably had him killed. Some say he's still beating Pepe to the street. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I remember most about this bar, because you had it was mostly. Uh, kind of unexciting aside from the pool table and a couple of dartboards. But there was this door. Oh, this is that one. Yeah. There's that a, fucking door. This door off to the side of the pool table. And you'd occasionally see employees and or regulars who weren't us go into the door, disappear for some amount of time, and then come back out of the door. Oh, I remember this now. Okay. It had to have been an eight-liner room. A what? Or an eight-liner room or a poker room or something like that. Or but bingo like, or something. Yeah, I don't know what it was. And it got to the point where we are debating what it was so much that I refused to open the door because I didn't want to know anymore. <laughs> what I was imagining was back there. 
would definitely like the reality would not uh, meet that kind of crazy expectation. It's a but, it's a Schrodinger's cat wonderland basically. <laughs> it's it was the <laughs> training I open room. That door, it is everything back there. Right, the, the ninja training room from uh, yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could have been. That's that's the thing is, and I think there are two kind of people in this world where some people, as soon as we start arguing about, it, they want to go back there. But it's like if you go back there, you can't tell me what's back there, because I don't want to know. Because like Pat said, as soon as you get go back there and know what's back there, it's locked to just that one thing for the rest of your life. The mystery is gone. I also remember one time I wandered in because I, I would go to the circle in all the time and it was unusually uh, crowded back by the pool table. And what I didn't realize is that there was a bachelor party back by the pool table. And it wasn't like a regular kind of happy bachelor party. It was a nasty bachelor party where I get back there and there's a stripper on the pool table with her legs open jamming a lollipop inside herself and Pepe's beating her. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I hung around. <laughs> I would hope so. What flavor was it, Josh? I, I don't know, Damn. but it was connected to one of those, uh, handles that rotates the, uh, the lollipop. Oh, nice. Yeah. I had one of those. It was uh, Darth Vader. Notice the, the hooker. <laughs> Where did you insert it, Patrick? So that was that was an odd night at the Circle Inn, and I'd never seen anything like it there before or since. Note I, to we self: We even hosted a part of a bachelor party there. It was <clears> the first stop on Carl's bachelor party. The last stop was New Orleans. Mark off this show, NSFW. <laughs> did you get uh, Carl one of those suckers? I did not. He got no, not just one of them. He got the one. Oh. <laughs> Now, we, uh, in particular, started at the Circle Inn because we didn't think Carl would be into it. And the whole thing about Carl's bachelor party was we're going to slowly ramp up the excitement until he figured, okay, the bachelor party's done. And then we kidnap him and put him on a plane to New Orleans with myself and uh, Mark and Jay. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty sweet because you could see it. He's like, okay, we're at a bar. I'm not really into this. Okay, Dave and Busters. I kind of get where we're going with this. All right, a bunch of the older guys took off. We're going to a strip club. And he seemed satisfied. He's like, okay, my status as best bachelor party planner ever is un untarnished. And then everybody except Mark, myself, and Jay left. And it's like, okay, I'm taking over running this thing. And we go to Jay's apartment. We're sitting there. And I'm checking the time. I'm like, it's not time there. Because we won't tell Carl where we're going. And he didn't even know until we were on our way to the airport. <laughs> I didn't realize till I was in the cargo lift of the plane. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Doc Ryan's. I, why? Okay. I, where was this one? It was it's on still Forest, there. Isn't it? It's on Forest Avenue or? Yeah, was it's, no, no, it's on Madison. Yeah. It's, it's oh, one of the, oh it's, it's that Irish pub, bar, right? Yeah. yeah. It's the strip of bars right there on, on Madison. Yeah, it's just yeah, like it's a half the block down from Harlem. one with all the frat bros. Right. That's why. If you, if you wanted to meet some college chicks, that's where you went. Doc Ryan's. Yeah. Okay. So that's all. We that, that was, you know, a lot of the other places, if you went to, it was only, you know, cause it was only Concordia kids. Cause you know, there was only Concordia people knew about it. Like yeah, but poor, Doc's... poor Phil's, you know, was, was poor Phil's was like all locals and Concordia kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was the one that was over by the uh, train tracks. Still is. Yeah. Yeah. It's still there. They had... with, with some amazing seafood. Yeah. I was going to say they had good food at poor Phil's. 
Uh, poor Phil's is part of the reason why I did not go out. I was not able to drink on New Year's Eve 1999. What? Uh. The day before New Year's Eve 1999, Fred from Hobbytown took myself and Joe Aberano out to Poor Phil's. And we got there at about six o'clock, had a big plate of snow crab legs, like the platter, and started drinking Hackershore Vice, uh, yeah, Vice beers. Ooh. And those go down easy. Uh, yes. Fred was picking up the tab and we continued ordering more rounds until they were putting up the, uh, stools on all the tables around us. Ooh. Yeah. I was so messed up on actual new year's Eve still that I couldn't even think of drinking. <laughs> wow. Why to what? Yeah, I was probably the only sober person down at uh, Navy Pier, New Year's Eve 1999. That's crazy. I spent my New Year's Eve 1999 working um, at at the yacht club, in right off of the right off the pier. Oh, okay. I was I was at the garden department. I think with Dennis and Amy, and I think there was just the three of us watching uh, Kurt Elling on the New Year's Eve thing, and then the ball dropped and. Nothing happened. You know, there was no no crashes or bashes or I think it's crazy that all these years uh Pat and I were within a block of each other and have never known it on that particular night. That's that was kind of my point. I was like, man, I was right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. So Duffy's Tavern, birthplace of Jeffrey's wait, I'm, I'm just thinking like oh, if it had really gone down, we could have we could have like been been Y two K buddies. But you wouldn't have known it. I, I was with Nick. But how, oh. how random would that have been? Like if, yeah. if like if the shit goes down and we start running the streets and we just like run right into each other in the court in the intersection, like hey, hey, hey Josh, go oh cool, you got Nick, we're good. <laughs> Let's go loot. Let's go find Mark. <laughs> oh shit, yeah, Mark's already in his bunker. <laughs> so uh, Duffy's Tavern, how how is this the birthplace of Jeffrey's Appendix? Which by the way, I still have the cassette tape of your album in the basement here. I I have a, a box full of both of them. Um, ah. Well, the, first of all, Duffy's Tavern was the first bar I went to in Illinois as a college student. I was 19. They didn't card. And so when I met Dave and we started, you know, kind of playing stuff together and then we got Chris and Pete and we all went out after practicing and we hadn't thought of a name at that point. So we all went to Duffy's Tavern to have a beer after we had our first practice and we're sitting around just drinking and I've got these down in the basement, but on the coasters and the napkins there, we started writing possible names. And, um, as we're drinking a pitcher of beer, somebody writes Jeffrey's appendix and then somebody else is like, no, it's only one F and then it's R E Y. And then we started drawing like funny little logos and, and we drank and, that was how the band got its name was because of that. But that was the first bar I went to too. And the first time I went to a bar that I remember that I drank and it was underage. So multiple things at Duffy's Tavern. I was expecting a lot more for the story, man. Like <laughs> I was expecting like there was like a ambulance involved or something like that. You know, it's yeah, you need to juice that story up, bro. Yeah, seriously. And then I found out that Mike was at the next bar and we didn't know it. 
<laughs> yeah, believe it or not, this is one of the few bars on this entire list uh, that are in Illinois that I had never been to. You never went to the quarter beer night? I never went to quarter beer night. I, I, I mean, you got to remember, even though I was lying about my age back then, I'm significantly younger and looked it then. Yeah. So, yeah, I. Uh, they, did, they did card for quarter beer night. That's for sure. Oh, they, sure they, they got did. a lot of heat for a quarter beer night from the from the cops. That would that was uh, when I learned how, just how much Mark McCoy could drink. That I is. I wonder when they started doing that because I was that was '94 when I went there. So, um, and yeah, Mark McCoy can throw down. Yes, he can. Indeed, he, he could out he could out drink me, and I'm you know and and I'm a pretty good drinker. I mean I. I know, I know Josh can drink too. I'm pretty sure he can outdrink me. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's, he, he was, he's a monster, man. <laughs> not, maybe not to, not, maybe not today's Mark, you know, cause I don't think he ties it on like he used to. Yeah. And that's the thing is like today's Mark, uh, against like me at top of my game. I got him, him and his prime versus me at my prime. I, I'm not sure who comes out ahead aside from whoever's tending bar. Right. And, if I'm in the mix, it, it depends on what we're drinking, really. I mean, if we're drinking, you know, beer, I'm not gonna, you know, it, well, also that also depends on what beer, but you know, regardless, so, yeah. I'm, I'm looking. Hard up, alcohol, I can handle. Yeah. I'm looking up Yelp reviews of these places as we're uh, as we're <laughs> okay. going on. So for awesome. some of these, are, <laughs> okay, so some of the shitholes I've been in. So Duffy's Tavern went on Friday. The bartender made the best black and tans. All right, so that's that. Um, then there's another one talking about a three-legged dog. <laughs> um, though this this says a lot about Duffy's ta- Duffy's is the bar doesn't have a kitchen. I think it did at one point in time, but not anymore. But believe me, you probably don't want to eat there even if they did. <laughs> That's about now, right. Duffy's is pretty close to Patty's. Yeah, I mean it's not quite you know quite as bad, but it's 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 like the real life version of the hyperbole that is Patty's Pub. Kitten mittens. I think the next <laughs> one on our list is probably the nicest one that we frequented back in college. O'Sully slash The Beacon. Where was that one? Why am I I'm blanking on that it's one? It's in between Subtender and the apartment. It was it's the one like, that was a corner. Yeah. Not the one that was directly across from Subtenders. No, not the not the one connected to the liquor store, not the biker bar, caddy corner. Man, I went to a lot of bars right in that <laughs> two block. Yeah, the biker bar that had that big fake um like train out front. Yeah, oh, and the guys in there were fucking awesome. The night I kicked in the uh, the door to the apartment, uh, I, I was a little nervous because I, I was like, fuck it, I want to go in this place. I've seen it. And uh, the bikers ended up buying me beers. That was actually a pretty good night until I got home and had to kick in the back door. <laughs> nice. Yeah, O'Sullivan's Public House is what it's listed as over here. So I've never outside. I don't know if I've ever been there. Really? I mean, they got the big popcorn machine uh, right to the right of the door. Huge bar. Uh, one of the best jukeboxes in Forest Park. Agreed. Um, I- I'm sure uh, Pat has been there because uh, I was passing out cement mixers, and he that was the first time he passed on one. <laughs> well, and they also... Um... They had a little like toaster oven in the back, and they would do Jack's Pizza, so you could buy a Jack's Pizza. Yep, and uh, they had like four dartboards in the uh, in the way back. Right, that's where we spent most of the time. Because when oh, that you know what? That's uh, <laughs> the night I 
yeah, the night I met Jen Needham, that's we went to that bar. I spent a lot of time at that bar. We um actually even after we moved out of the apartment, uh, we used to have bar night and we'd go every Tuesday or Wednesday and meet, have food and drinks and play darts. Um Amy and I and Jay and Amanda were constants, but I don't know. Seemed like some of you other guys were there. I know Mel used to come by every once in a while and Biff. I'd come by once in a while. I was going to say, I know there was more than just them though. So, um, and that was a standing thing. Like every week that was the one night a week we would go and I would smoke that night, <laughs> smoke and drink. And have yeah, I, I've been there a couple times. I, for all that I, the college stuff, I don't, I never didn't go, didn't go to many bars. Like I've the circle, I've been there a couple times. Poor Phil's, yeah, I've been there. Duffy's never been there. O'Sullivan's been there a couple times. Phil's Sports Bar, that was the one up on Harlem, right? That was the one that I worked at. Yeah. Oh right. yeah. That... In not in Brookfield, right? No, in uh, Elmwood Park. Okay. Yeah, probably Phil's is the second shittiest bar on this entire list. <laughs> it and... was just your typical little tiny uh, crap hole of a bar with. Uh, Formica bar top and eight liners and some dartboards and a, and a pool table and some standard ass, you know, cocktail tables and stools and then a basement. And it's the place where I almost got shot. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember the uh, sort of thick uh, Latina chick who was a waitress at the steakhouse oh, who used to hit on me. Andrea. And I, I forgot her Andrea. name. Yep. Holy shit balls. <laughs> Yeah, we spent a lot of time there. That's where I went uh, after Amy and I got engaged. That's where we had my 21st yep. birthday celebration and engagement party. That's true. I was the last one to find out about your engagement because I was working at the time. And everybody's like, ah! I'm like, what's everybody celebrating? <laughs> this is why. Ten minutes later, I just yelled with everyone because we were yelling. <laughs> I was so far away, I couldn't hear what Joel was saying. So I'm looking up, I'm looking up Phil's Sports Bar on Yelp, and it's holding it a solid three stars which makes sense yeah i mean it's not a dive it's just there's just it's, nothing special about yeah, it it's just, i mean it's, everything is just your standard you know this is, this is what you buy when you, when you open a bar there's no flavor to any of it phil uh was a was a italian wannabe mobster who there had an actual, actual phil? yeah oh. yeah um who, who had um actual real connections and uh the guys that ran the eight liners and uh, i've told this story before i don't what do you think, Josh? Should I talk about Javier? <gasps> I haven't thought about Javier in a long time. <laughs> oh my I haven't God. either. <laughs> Javier was another bartender there, and um, we always had an envelope underneath the register full of about $1,000 in cash, and it was to pay out people that won on the eight-liners. Um, and then the dude, you know, the, the big, sweaty, beefy Italian guys in tracksuits would come in once a month and fill them with money. And replace the money in the envelope, you know, or we had a number to call if we ran, if somebody, you know, won and we ran out of money, we needed more, somebody would show up and fill the envelope again, whatever, and empty the machines and blah, blah, blah. So um, everybody knew what, what was really going on with those machines. Well, Javier decided that he was going to start saying, oh, people won, people won, and just start taking money out of the thing, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars at a time. He would just start taking money out. And they could tell, you know, they could look at the machines because they they have records, you know, and they know when people win and lose. And they figured out who it was, and suddenly Javier never showed up for work again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm just hoping he got fired and was told to leave town or something. <laughs> so this is the best review I've seen of Phil's 
So it's Mike H. from Chicago says, go for the cheap beer, stay for the subtle racism. <laughs> that seems about right. That seems entirely appropriate, yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the, a lot of the people that were, were regulars there were really nice people. I liked them, you know, but I mean, there was there was nothing special about that bar at all. You know, I mean, it's just your standard bar. And I got fired because Phil decided he wanted all female staff. And so he told me, he told me, uh, he, he called me in at the beginning of my shift. He said, this is going to be your last shift. I want to go with, you know, I got, I just hired a bunch of female bartenders. I'm going to go with all female bartenders, but you could stay and be a doorman. And uh, keep in mind, I almost, like, I, I stepped in between a man holding a gun on someone else and broke up that fight and almost died for this guy in this stupid bar. And that's just one story of many where I went above and beyond for this, this asshole. So uh, that night as I bartended, and then he told me, then he just let me bartend all night after telling me that. So I called up all you guys and I called up anybody I knew and said, Hey, come on down to Phil's. Oh, free. I remember that night. <laughs> like, like, like people at the end of the night, like, what's my tab? I'm like, I don't know, $4. <laughs> <laughs> they just throw down a hundred. Here you go. I'm like, cool. Thanks. What's what your tab? Like? Your tab is two. Yeah. Do what? <laughs> I don't know. And that like all the, the regulars were like, how much do I get? It's like, you don't know me shit. That wasn't <laughs> the same night that Uki was pooping in the cedar chest, was it? No, that was drinking back at the apartment. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, so that um, was Bill's sports bar. Real quick before you get, because I know you've got a list of places you worked. Um, I do want to give one quick mention to a bar that's not on here because I could not find the name of it. But uh, during the recording of the album that uh, uh, Mike was just talking about, we went and played a bar downtown for an open mic night. And I just call it the pirate bar because it was the band that went on after us consisted of uh, a, bunch, a bunch of guys that looked like they were straight off a pirate ship. They weren't like dressed like pirates, but they looked, you know, rough and tumble. And, and then Is the lead, Somalian? not that kind of pirate. <laughs> oh. So then the lead singer came out who had a peg leg. Yes. What? No, no joke. Spoilers. But he had one leg that had a, a prosthetic on it, but it was, a, it was literally like a peg. It was not like an actual leg. The dude could sing Iron Maiden like Bruce Dickinson, and they ripped shit up. Um, and yeah, we, so, we but, they, the but they totally like almost casually went with the whole pirate thing. It's it's like we're just gonna like pay homage to pirates <laughs> unintentionally because our lead singer has a peg leg. Yeah, we're not gonna it like was, really get into it. That's it fantastic. was crazy. It was a fun night, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's like it's like the week before <laughs> dress rehearsal. They're just. <laughs> So, Pat, Virginia City. What the hell is Virginia City? Hang on. Hold on. Fitz is. Yeah, Fitzgerald's. I can't believe that we forgot about it. I can believe why we forgot about it. Well, the music there was typically really pretty good. Otherwise, it was just a big dark room that sold alcohol. And pretty much still is. Bill and the whole Fitzgerald family, I mean, they, they they were music fanatics. I mean, Dennis still plays there, I think, from time to time. But, um... They always had the best music there, and they were friends with Val, so they used to come into the store all the well, time. Well, and and Fitzgerald's is it's it's like an icon of Chicago because if yeah. I mean remember when we did the um, uh, Adventures in Babysitting show, the whole blues scene of that was took place in Fitzgerald's. Yep, as is the League of Their Own. Yeah, that, uh, we're at the bar. That's Fitzgerald. Yeah, so it's uh. You know, it's definitely a it, it it probably is the most landmark of all the uh all the bars that we have here. So hooray for Fitzgerald. Nice call. 
knew he forgot one. So Virginia City, Pat. What is well, that? okay. So uh, for those of you listening, if you're not aware, um, I spent many, many. Wait, many... I don't, Pat. I don't mean to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Fitzgerald's was that the place where you were feeding Susie the peached whales? Yes. Okay. <laughs> was... <laughs> I had to teach the bartenders how to make it because obviously it's my own personal drink. So I I don't even know if I should tell this story. <laughs> Go ahead. It's great. <laughs> it's a great story. So. We're at the we're at it was at Fitzgerald's. We're off on the sidebar. We're playing pool. Pat and the girl that he was dating at the time, me and the wife that I've been married to for twenty plus years now. <laughs> that was Beth. No, it's Suzanne. No, me. Beth, oh, okay. The girl I was dating <laughs> <Beth>. <laughs> now this was this is amazing for two reasons because this is the first time that Suzanne had ever been told that she was attractive by another woman. <laughs> so there's oh. that, and the other side of the thing was. Um, Patrick was feeding Suzanne these drinks that he made called peached whales, which were delicious. Uh, peach They're schnapps. dangerously good because you don't know there's alcohol in them. Exactly. And I'm like, dude, you seriously, you're not – got to stop. No, 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 no. I, and it, I remember you saying to me, you're going to have an amazing night. I swear to God. I'm working you up. I'm working you up, man. I'm working you up. And this is exactly how the rest of my night went. We left. I took her home. Well, we went home. It was, I love you so <laughs> <laughs> and I remember one too many peached whales. Yeah, I don't remember calling you, but like, yeah, she's sleeping. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, peached whales and spooky molders, man. Yeah. Still don't know how to make those. <laughs> I right. finally remembered the recipe for spooky molders. Ooh, nice. nice. It's the yep. same. You got it exact. Yep. Nice. It's Virginia City. Um. So yeah. Um. Going into this section of the of the show. Um. For those of you listening, if you don't know, I spent many years of my life, over half of my life, uh, tending bar in various places from corner bars to dive bars to family restaurants to to top of the line white dining, you know, white linen tablecloths and white glove type places and strip clubs and everything in between. I, there's not a place that I couldn't and haven't bartended. Um I have a list I'm going to talk about here um, of places I've worked throughout the years. I didn't include any place I'd worked for less than a month because there are different places I've you know either worked um, one night you know because like uh, throughout all these you know there was for like a, like 15 years up there in Chicago, I worked for a um, staffing uh, a catering staffing company as a as a captain and a bartender. So there's a if I included all the places I've actually just served a drink, it would we could talk forever. I mean, because every night was a different location that I worked like with Like you are now. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, so it started in 1988. Virginia City is a um, honky-tonk down here in Houston that is uh, – now it's called something else. I can't remember what has changed names and owners you know, several times over the years. Um, it's one of those places it, – It's this it, when it was open and at its heyday back when I worked at it, it was the second largest honky-tonk in Texas behind um, Mickey Gilly's place. Uh and it, it it was it it had a a stand a standing bartender staff of I think eighty two on 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 the weekends because there was something like like thirty four bars between oh all God. the bar to all the beer tub bars and all the shop bars and all the regular big old bars and everything and because there would be there would be in the weekends upwards of like you know eight to ten thousand people inside the place and it had its own uh, bull riding ring and everything and I as a sixteen year old. My uh, sister was engaged to the general manager, and you know, being a place that had so many bartenders, they were always hiring and always needing, and always, you know, 
And I looked old enough at that point in, in time. You only had to be 18 to serve alcohol. And I looked over 18 easily. I looked you know, I looked over 21 at that point. And now you and look so, over 50. So, one, you know, once a week I would go in, in uh, on Wednesdays when it was, you know, that was one of their busy nights. And I would work the beer tub until like midnight or 2 a.m., depending on how busy it was. And I'd be one of the first ones cut and I'd make a bunch of cash every week. So it wasn't like technically like I was serving drinks. I was just popping beers and stuff. But I mean, that, that was my first bartending gig. Hmm. Very nice. Yep. I mean, he could have gotten in trouble, you know, if like, you know, anybody had found out I was working there. But I mean, it was I didn't get I didn't make any money. It was all cash under the table. I just took my tips. And that was it. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Lone Star. I remember you bringing home the chili cheese fries. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yep, Lone Star Steakhouse was the first official uh, place I, I worked after I turned 21 and got a real job, um, paying taxes and all that shit. Yeah, it was the. Uh, <laughs> there they, they, they. You, you the probably shouldn't liked. say that on something I'm going to publish to the public. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to start caring about shit now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Lone Star Steakhouse. They they always there was one of those cheesy places. They they loved hiring me because you know they had an actual Texan behind the bar, um, and it's just you know I wore they made me wear my boots every day and stuff. And I told them I was, I was like, well, if you're gonna exploit my Texanness, I'm not dancing because <laughs> it was one of those places where they always made you dance all the time. And I always would come up with an excuse why I couldn't dance. But that that place did. I, I only worked there for like four or five months. But yeah, I used to bring leftovers and chili cheese. Leftover oh, steak season. fries back to the oh yeah the oh. Dorm all the time yeah that wow. was a, that was a this is your standard your standard job and then we've already talked about my next the next place Phil Sports Bar that mm-hmm. uh, we've, and then the, after that is uh, I worked at Garfield's for a little while which is like a knockoff Bennigan's that was the place where Mike and I bartended together I got him a job <laughs> there for a while and that's, that's a place at here. the mall right yeah yeah at, at North Riverside Mall yeah yeah, yeah. that's that, where he got his tongue pierced and ate lots of mashed potatoes yep. yep. Yep, that was where I started getting all my piercings when I worked at Garfield's. And that's when you and I worked there, and they were like, they're either brothers or gay. <laughs> yeah, possibly gay brothers. Yeah. So that's where Pat started teaching me bartending. Yep. And uh, that that was the that was the place where uh, I I started learning how to do uh, how to manage bars because I was the head bar I became the head bartender there and had to learn how to do like you know inventory and ordering and all that stuff that started me on my bar management career, you know, um, and then that's when I lived with Fred and Dan and, and Jeff, all the guys that it was, it was the general manager, the assistant manager, the head waiter and the head bartender all living in one apartment. So if that place had burned down in the middle of the night, that restaurant would have to shut down. <laughs> Burning. And then I left, uh, I left that and I started working for lodge management and I worked for lodge management for almost four years. The lodge. Yeah, um, that that includes all the places in, in Division Street that anybody that lives in Chicago should know about, like the Hang Up Bootleggers, the Lodge, Mother's Two House of Beers. And, I and, still have Hang Up Matchbooks. Well, yep. and the Hang Up and Bootleggers in particular uh, were the two places where frequently I would be pressed into service as an extra door guy. Yep. Yep. And uh, when you were at the Hang Up, I remember coming out when I worked out at. Uh, um, it was either the Hang Up or Pippins, where I worked out at um, the Hancock Center. Come Pippins, out and visit. yeah. Yeah, come out and visit you. You were just like. Yeah. I, feel, I filled in at Pippins every now and then, but I didn't include it, you know, for some reason. I, 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 well, stupid. If you 
you know what? I'm not even going to bother to tell you why I didn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. I didn't like the way it looked in the show notes, to be honest with you, because then the manhole fell down to its own line and it looked weird, you know? (laughs) I was like, one of these bars needs to go. Because of formatting. I'd show up at the hangup intending to drink, and Pat would be like, yeah, one of our door guys called in. You help check IDs for an hour and you're drinking for free the rest of the night. (laughs) Like, deal. And that happened several times at both of those places. Was yep. Okay, that was the night that, Josh, you and I decided that you we were the designated drivers and Suzanne and Jay could drink. Remember that? No, not me, because I, I couldn't drive at that point. I, no, I, got I was... I my license at like 21. No, I was driving, but remember they were in the back... Remember we were driving them home, and they were in the back of the car going, Yay, Jesus! Huh. Like, I remember the story. I don't remember being in the car for it. Yeah, you were in the car for that, and that was the point where we realized that Jay was smarter than us, drunk. Okay, yeah, Be- that I remember. Because he was <laughs> able to figure out how to get everybody home without having anybody who was drunk actually driving. When we were, we were just like, okay, get in the car, go home. Probably. And then there were, and then you know, after all the lot, well, not after, but during the lodge management, I, I worked occasional shifts in the beer tub uh, over because I, I I worked uh I worked a gig once at the the, uh, the Congress Hotel. Um, for the staffing, you know, for the catering place, I was just working at a beer tub thing, and it was an event. It was uh, for a there was a there was a there was a giant gay pride parade going on, and this and one of the guys was uh, was the owner of the manhole, and he asked me if I wanted a, a job working at the manhole. So I worked the beer tub at the manhole every now and then because the money was outrageous. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I just standing there popping beers, I would make like five six hundred dollars in tips. What the hell? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was ridiculously. I mean, that was back when I was you know young, good looking, and thin and shit, you know. And I had all the piercings and stuff, and I would just show up with a you know with a thin shirt or whatever, or or you know unbutton my shirt or something. Fucking you know money coming rolling in. When was this again? I was uh, 24, so I was still thin back then. Oh, okay. No, what year was that? 96. 96. No, I'm okay. trying to figure out when he was attractive. No. Aww. Oh, ask your mom. <laughs> The what? damn. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and five, four, three. <laughs> and then um and then ninety nine was the year that I uh that I started out uh working in strip clubs. Um I started at the Sugar Shack, remember that place over in uh over off of Mannheim and uh ah, shit, whatever. But it was a, it was a place that had male and female strippers, um, depending on the night, and I you know would bartend for either or, and that was when I found out that you know nine out of ten male strippers are gay, because they you know because uh, they would the, these women would come in for all the you know and then find out that the strippers were gay, and then they're like they're like well the bartender and they would all come to and I was like this is amazing, <laughs> so and then I uh, went from there to the admiral, which everybody knows of course I bartended yes. there for a little while I left that place pretty quickly. Because it was a very icky vibe there. The guys that, uh, well, I'll tell you off air why I left there. <laughs> Fair enough. I was just thinking, this may not be something we want yeah, to be broadcasting. I'll, I'll, that's something left for, for, uh, for, the, for the people that you know support us on Patreon later. <laughs> there you go. And then I had a little stint at Famous Dave's Barbecue. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, no. Yeah, that was that was uh, 
terrible. I told, I, I, yeah, it was it was not that good. And and I told when it, when I told them it was my last weekend. Um, other mics showed up on Friday, and my last day was supposed to be Saturday. And we went out drinking, and I got so drunk I didn't show up to work on Saturday. So I was like, well, I guess I am done. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that other Mike is uh, is other Mike to me, and I'm other Mike to him. Yep. <laughs> what and I I remember when you, both mics when we when he came over to my place and you were like both mics were in the same place and you had no idea what to call us. Yeah, I don't know how to address either one of you right now. <laughs> so you will be Mike and you will be Michael. <laughs> that's boring. <clears throat> <laughs> but uh, that's like I said, this is just you know the places that I worked for more than a month. Um, turnover in the restaurant industry is pretty crazy high and i worked i had i had when i was younger and you know gung-ho and all that shit i would work you know two three four jobs at a time i didn't give a shit i would i worked all the time yes you i did. don't have anything to show for it but i worked my ass off my whole life you have a lot of good memories and bad True. i had a lot of fun that's i mean exactly yeah and you met I, us i have i have had i have had a life that some people wish they had but i mean i also at the same point have Nothing to show for my life, like I said. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll go to the break now. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah. There I go, ending on a high note as usual. Let's 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 record. Hey, publish that! Yay! <laughs> All right, so we'll be back in a bit. We're going to talk about bars now, and uh, what we look for, what we like to go to, and what we uh, places we actually toss us in there places we want to go to. So. All right, be back in a bit. All right, we are back and uh, talking about more bars. And one of the things that the four of us all have in common is we wind up at bars at Gen Con. If you don't, don't know what Gen Con is... It is the world's largest gaming convention. Look it up. It's a lot of fun. Come out there, see us run mobile game show and all sorts of crazy cool stuff out there. So, uh, But we have been... I know this coming year is going to be my 20th or 21st Gen Con. So this is something that I think... Josh, how many are you at? Um, let's see. I started going in 1992. Mm-hmm. And I think due to low funds, I've missed three okay. since 92. So lots. Lots. <laughs> yeah. So 23, lots. 23 for him, and then for me, th- this upcoming one will be my 12th. Okay. Joel? Uh, I went to one with you guys while I was still in Milwaukee, and then I've been to the last. That was where Where's my burrito came from. Four? Have we been? Have we been there four? No, we've been there three times. Three, yeah. As the show, so I've been there four to four years, total. All right. Did you join the show the same year I did? Yes. For some reason, I thought Joel was a year before me. Hmm. But uh, if you were at Gen Con when it was back up in Milwaukee, the place to go was the Safe House. Yep. And I still have Safe House glasses uh, in my uh, in my cabinet. Yeah, I still got a few. Uh, Spies Demise is the number one that I have out there. Uh, Safe House, if you do not know of it, it is a bar that is in the alley of... I don't know what street it is, but if you find the Opera House, 
and go on the south side of the opera house, walk down the alley and look for three flags and go in there. Yeah, because there's no sign. Yeah, no sign. You have to know where it is. But there are other ways to get into this place. Um, one of the cool things about this is that it's a spy-themed bar. Um, has all sorts of... I think it's got some props from James Bond movies and a piece of the uh, the Berlin Wall and a Checkpoint Charlie, something or other there. They've got like the gate from Checkpoint Charlie or some sort of ridiculousness there. Either way, it's a spy-themed bar. So when you get in, you have to give a password. Which, yeah, there's like a nondescript reception area with a bunch of books and a podium and someone just standing there waiting for you to tell them the password. Yes, we are not going to give you the password. you got to figure that out. Especially uh, considering I gave Mike the wrong password and we were all sitting in the bar watching him have to and, perform. And it was both of us. I, I yeah. thought it was Mike and Will. It no, was. Because I, I, went, I went with Mike and then. No, they, no, no, no. It was just me and Will. Well, the. And, I was with someone then. No, <laughs> I've pulled that on a few people. No, here, here's the, here's the thing. It's, I hate to admit this, but I still don't know the password because I was with somebody that they told the password to, and I just walk in with them, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't know what's still. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd still have to like dance around for the camera, to which get is why I will never go back to the safe house. <laughs> Put on a hula dance and because yeah. I know you guys are not going to tell me. So I'm not going to. Oh, hell no. So the safe house, it's a spy bar. There is actually another way to get into the bar. If you go into the bar called the newsroom that faces the opera house and give the password there, they will put you in a booth, close the doors and flip a switch. And the whole booth spins around and you come out into the safe house. Yeah. And on Friday and Saturday nights, there's a secret door in the newsroom that they just keep open so they can keep customers filtering through because they're busy. And then it's and they've. They've got a lot of great drinks, one specifically called the Hail to the Chief, which we got for Brian, one of our buddies, when he turned 21. And I think you have to order at least a month in advance. Oh, yeah, because they've got the chair that rises up out of the floor. Yeah, he, he disappeared. Uh, I and, that. Yeah, he disappeared and showed up uh, uh, coming out of the floor into the middle of the bar as banners dropped down and Hail to the Chief was played through the entire... Uh, place and everybody saluted him. It was it's a it's a good time. It really is. I mean the drinks are good, uh, the food is eh, but um, the atmosphere is the atmosphere is what you're the there charts. for. Yeah, that's yeah. what you go there for is the, the atmosphere and the drinks. Right. And if you're looking for the bathroom, good luck. <laughs> yeah. If you want good <laughs> beer and good food in Milwaukee, you go to Mater's, the German restaurant. Mm. Yeah, this one, if you want good atmosphere and a lot of crazy stuff going on, you go to uh, the safe house. Yeah, and and fun stories to tell. Oh, yeah. Um, so shortly after the safe house, uh, early on in the 2000s, Gen Con moved to Indianapolis. And the Ugly Monkey was a bar that was... <laughs> that was a bar. That was a bar that we went to. Um, it is across the street from a uh, Greyhound station. And a White Castle. That already tells you that tells the story. You so much. <laughs> it's at nothing the edge of... Ever ha- nothing good ever happens across from a White Castle. Yeah, it's definitely on the edge of walk two more blocks in this direction in Indianapolis. You will probably be shot. Yeah. <laughs> two blocks west and you get mugged. Um, yeah. 
the three years I've been going to Indianapolis, I always want to go to the White Castle, and I'm like, I'm afraid I'd go too far. <laughs> yeah. And, and order White Castle. <laughs> so the Ugly Monkey, uh, the thing is about the Ugly Monkey is it, it they had karaoke on Thursday or Friday, Thursday nights at Gen Con, and you would have the biggest amalgamation of Gen Con goers in this place. And everybody was singing. In fact, Josh and I, remember the one year we did um, Million Dollars, if I had a million dollars? I do remember that night. And we controlled the entire audience through song. Yeah, I also remember, the thing I remember most about that first year at the Ugly Monkey is that they got the full-size bar with uh, everything right up in the main room. And then you go down a little set of stairs, and there's a half-size bar that comes up to about uh, your waist. And they were selling half-size beers served by a little person. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was that was the remember once when we went in there asking for and they you know excuse me where is this well, well they're only serving this special at the mini bar. Well, yes. where's the mini bar? It's over there. And that was that that was that moment that we're like we're not we're not going to leave. We're we're going to stick around here. Um, I saw Tiffany there. She the first year that we went down to Gen Con, Tiffany had actually just finished up a set out at the Ugly Monkey, which was really saying something. Yeah, uh, that's odd. Yeah, was, Did she it, remember Patrick? Yeah, she was like, "Hey, <laughs> that would have been amazing if it, if I had been there." Oh, do you know this guy? He's kind of nondescript, kind of average. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> I know Pat. Um, but yeah, so it. It is like the dive bar of the dive bars. Oh, there, there there's some shittier ones coming up. Believe oh, yeah. me. There's some, there's some shitty bars, but for Indianapolis, this is this is probably the worst. The one thing I recall about this is the year that they had two dollar Long Island iced teas. <laughs> Mistake. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad night for everybody. That was a year that we lost um, uh, Mars. He was out with us. Uh, J- uh, Jonathan was out with us, and he had ordered the Long Island iced tea because he had noticed the sign as we were walking in, and the barmaid at that time had actually. How I'm trying to think of a way to put this that we had that doesn't make me sound like an incredible alcoholic, but there is no Dude, way. To, that battle is lost. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you and I, there are people planning interventions. Yeah, as we speak. There's I don't no want to way. Sound like an alcoholic. Good luck. <laughs> so, um, so they started serving us Long Island iced teas in Pilsners because they were tired of coming back to the table. Because they would, we would order a round, they would leave, and before they would, they would come back and we'd order two rounds, and they were just like, "Look, we don't have this much time. Here's six Pilsners full of Long Island iced tea. Just leave us alone for ten minutes." We have other tables. Reminds me of you guys in soda at Garfield's. <laughs> Except they didn't put a half a pound of salt. <laughs> that was pretty damn funny. But the Ugly Monkey, unfortunately, has shut down, probably because it was a hole and should have been shut down years before we started it started going Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it turned out to be uh, patient zero in many, many cases. Yeah. But Ugly Monkey, you will always have a place for us in your heart. In, wait, you will always have a place in our heart. There will always be a place for you in our heart. Yes. And, and then the Ram. So, Josh, you have an interesting story about the Ram that I was there for the first year of Gen Con in Indy. 
Oh, yeah, that was the time where I arrived with Brian, who we've mentioned, and Joe Abereno, who we've mentioned. And uh, we got there and realized uh, they had run out of food because this is the first year uh, in Indianapolis and they didn't know how much gamers could eat. But they had plenty of beer. And Brian had to go to the bathroom. Joe went up and disappeared for a while. I went over to say hello to another table. And uh, I was sitting at the table, and I flagged down a waitress, and I ordered four beers. Now, in the meantime, Brian walked by the bar and on his way to the bathroom and said, Hey, that table over there, send four beers over there. I talked to the barmaid who came to the table I was at and said, Hey, can you send four beers over to this table? And, and then Joe-, Joe came back with four beers in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently... We were having beer for dinner. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we each had four beers uh, lined up in front of us. Yeah, that was a rough night. Um, uh, if there was another rough night more recently uh, after we were doing the uh, podcast when we met uh, all of us. I, I think, Patrick, were you there? Uh, when, when there was like 20 of us all at the table? Yeah. The reason I don't remember is because I arrived first with Sarah. That was that was actually my introduction to Joe Everino. That was the first time I met him. Really? Yep. What? Because huh. remember he had the um the the oh what are the the berries that berries? changed? Oh. Huh? <laughs> no, you know you know the the the, the oh yeah the now. little that that changed the way things taste. Yeah, the wonder wonder berries is what are they called? What are they called? Something, Something like that. that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but anyway, he had you know, he had those, and everybody was trying those and tasting all the different beers and everything. Yeah, I think I was already insensate by that point because, like, I had had two beers, and then Jay wanted to buy a round of like fireball shots with a chaser. Ugh. And then I got to the table where yeah. we had all those people. How has Jay turned into the guy who's always pushing shots? I don't know. I, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I just kept ordering more and more beer, and then, like, John Kamala picked up the check for the entire table for, like, dinner and drinks for everyone. That's nice. Uh, yeah. And I only found that out because I didn't I, I didn't remember, like, the rest of the night. Like, I remember my food arriving, and everything else is just a blur. I think that was the night that Martha realized that she didn't like me. <laughs> Oh, I, no, Martha uh, did not not like you. She was creeped out by somebody else. Yeah. That wasn't... Um, oh. What was, the, what was yeah. the, the bar we were at, Mike, when... Uh, I'm going to tell the story. When when I bought the the entire round of, of drinks for everybody all night. You're going to have to be a lot more specific for Are you that. Talking well, I don't want to ruin the story. I yeah, mean, that was the monkey. I wasn't was, there for no, that. No, that, was that the wasn't monkey. the monkey. No, 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 no. It really wasn't. It, it was when uh, we, we were drinking. Oh my god, that's right. No, that was at. Hang on, I have I have to go to indie bars. Indie. Yeah, because uh, this this story, um, I would. Uh, I, we were in the middle of drinking. We had met up with some people, um, and and there was a group of like uh, ten of us or whatever hanging out drinking, and we were singing karaoke and. I went up to do my song uh, to, to get in the bathroom <laughs> line, and they called me for my song, so I went up and did my song. Are, are you leading up to the point where you just want to talk about me being the only <laughs> one of us getting thrown out of a bar? <laughs> All right. In my defense, a bar back should wear a goddamn shirt that says, I work here. 
All right, long story short, I come out of the bathroom and see Mike has got some guy in a full Nelson. <laughs> and I, as I'm coming toward, uh, towards him, I see to my right there's a fight going on. And then I, as I get up there, I realize it's the bar back because I've been talking to him as he's working and I've been talking to the bartenders and everything. So I go up to I go up to Mike and I had to like pull his hands off him. I'm like, no, no, let him go, let him go. And he lets him go and he turns around ready to punch Mike and I had to stop him. I'm like, no, 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 he's with me. And then he just runs off to the fight. That was at the Wild Beaver. Yeah, the Wild oh, Beaver. That's right. That's yeah. Right. And then, yeah, and then they start kicking. You know, and when the the fight is all done, everybody's kicked out. You know, they start going around. You're out. You're out. Kicking other people out. And guy says to Mike, "You're out." And he, you know, you know, pushes him towards the door. And I go out with Mike to be like, you know, to make sure he doesn't get in. You know, get his ass kicked by security or anything. And and I try to you know and and I'm like all right well you gotta go whatever blah 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 I send him home and you left with um somebody I don't remember who was it you left with Joey I think and then I I go to walk back at the bar and they're like you can't come back in and I'm like why and they're like well you know you were with that guy and blah 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 and I was like yeah I got a five hundred dollar bar tab in there I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be able to come in the guy's like go right ahead <laughs> <laughs> after you sir. Yeah, that is like the only time you have been denied a place momentarily because you knew me of all people. <laughs> right? <laughs> what the hell, <laughs> Mike? You're such a bad influence for me. Yeah. Well, what about the night that we had at the Revel? Do you remember that? I think uh, was... with Indy Rick. No, no, no. This is oh. remember a couple years ago. There was we we ran into a group of people that were running a new software for gaming, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> I that was and like I, I got into a tipping war with a pimp that was <laughs> that was and they were like here we have a deal with this bar if you have these wooden tokens you can get a drink and it was like it I believe the best moment of that night where you turned to me and you're like I do believe we're at an urban bar <laughs> well it was it was a great place that was I spent 20 minutes playing with the bathroom doors because they were one of those doors that. When you oh. close it, remember that the electricity yeah. went through them and they went that, from being that, clear that bar, to translucent. That bar that night, those people, the people that were in the bar, the people we partied with, the, the regulars and the people from the, the, that was a great time. That was a gr- yeah, no, 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 I you mean, are that, completely that, that, that right. Bartender that, that you know that uh, gave me her number and everything. We were flirting all night long. She was so fun. Ta- uh, what was her name? Uh, I have no, you don't know. Tam- Tammy, Tammy was her name. You're making that shit up. No, I'm not. No, Tanya. Tanya was her See, name. I told you we were making that shit up. Uh, right. ta- yeah, and uh, I actually, that's a literal thing. I got into a tipping war with, with one of the regulars who was a pimp. Yes, I and I am here to back that up. Because <laughs> it was like, dude, you're not going to win this. When I realized that I was starting to piss him off by, you know, because, because I was trying to one-up him, I was like, all right, man, you win. I give up. Yeah, I'm gone. But like, before I get stabbed, I'm gonna let you you know win with the fifty dollar tip. We're good. Yeah. So and that was also because they. <laughs> in the meantime, Tanya, the bartender, was like just standing there laughing as we're just throwing money at her. <laughs> but the uh, the thing was like there was a there was a software company that was creating this new and revolutionary mobile platform, uh, an an app for your iPad or whatever for gaming, and they hired like girls to dress in character of all these different, different characters off of gaming. And they hired us to do the promo for them. Hey, you want to do the, we, and we went up and we did like the full, Hey, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And that sort of thing. And they had these little wooden tokens that were like, if one of these would get you a drink, but the guy who was in charge of the tokens was like, 
oh, you're out of tokens? Here. And he'd reach into the box of used tokens and hand you like a handful. <laughs> he was incredibly lax about who he gave tokens to and how many they were. Exactly. It and was the... supposed to be something that was very controlled. Only a certain number of these need to get out because we don't want to have to pay too much bar tab. And this guy's like, whatever, here you go. Yeah, and for some reason or another, that software never got released. <laughs> because you guys drank it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at one point, Mike and I just had stacks and stacks of wooden coins in front of us as we're sitting at the bar, and we're like, "This is not going to end well." <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, we're just we just re- re- resigned to the fact that tomorrow is going to be an awful, awful day. Yeah, we're, we're, at one point, like, you know, we looked at each other. We're like, "We're not doing an early morning show tomorrow." No, that is a great transition into Ike and Jonesies. Oh my yep. God, yeah. So. Ike and Jonesy's, if you have not been to Indianapolis, it's kind of a 1950s-style bar. Yeah, yeah, it's a theme bar. It's a theme bar. It, lo- it looks like an old diner. Yeah. You know, cl- the chrome, the kind of like red and... Uh, lots of formica and tile. Yes, yes, lots of that going on. Now, this is a place that people at Gen Con regularly attend. So and It's usually a rocking place during Gen Con. Yes. Yeah, and I think it was our second or third stop on our trip Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of stuff has happened at Ike and Jonesy's. Um, most recently, the in- involvement with uh, Indie Rick. So this, we this was one of my favorite nights of all time. Like it's probably it's in my top twenty of this, my entire life. Just the, the whole because we ran into a guy at Gen Con that was dressed as Rick Sanchez from Morty and Rick, and he did. He looked the part, and he did an amazing impression. Yes, he did. And, yeah. we, and we found out through just blind-ass luck that Mike does an amazing Morty. <laughs> and so the two of them, we literally, it was it was like we were drinking with Rick and Morty all night long. It was so fucking fun, bar hopping with Rick Sanchez. Yeah. And the- before we even started walking on the bar, I was three uh, Jack and Cokes down. Yeah. Yeah. Because our our hotel room at Gen Con is kind of a bar in itself, so right. <laughs> yeah, I was pre gaming in the room. Then I got the two free drinks for happy hour at the hotel. Then we walked to a couple bars, and then we found out that uh, Indy Rick, he there was this old guy following us around. Mm-hmm. We we didn't realize until later that the old guy was Indy Rick's father in law. And he turned out to be cooler than even Indy Rick. Yeah, because when we got to Ike and Jonesy's, he just pulled out this, like, basketball, maybe not basketball, but it seemed like it at the time, uh, wad of $20. It was, definitely a, it was definitely a hockey puck size wad. Yes. At least. And he just, like, peeled off, because uh, he had 20s and he had 100s. And he, he just peeled off like 500 bucks and handed it to the waitress and was like, anything these four tables order, when it's empty, get them another one. And when you need more money, come see me. Literally, that's what he said. That is. Yeah. Then, no joke. And then we all got hangovers. Oh, yeah, because I, I, remember, I remember the first four more Jack and Cokes. I well, remember. I, th- I think the problem is that the fourth one was when you and Sarah went outside with me, and then I fell in the street. Right, <laughs> and then the rest <laughs> is just gone. Well, no, because then Sarah and I tried to sneak away to get back to the room early, uh, and we got drunk and lost in the streets of Indianapolis. <laughs> we were so drunk we couldn't find the hotel, 
and John Kamala discovered us stumbling through the streets of Indianapolis and led us back to our hotel where we were the first to leave and the last to arrive back to the hotel. <laughs> well, and what's funny about it is that the only reason we started hanging out with Indy Rick is that we were all hanging out in front of the hotel and he just came wandering or was wandering around just doing his impression. Well, again, this, this is what, this is where my potheadedness comes in handy because I was standing there smoking and you guys were, came up and you know, were hanging out and waiting for everybody to come down. And he walked up and wanted to smoke with me. Right. That's, how, that's how we met Indy Rick. Go weed. It just, because he just started walking and talking with us and it just ended up being a whole night with him. It was just, it was pretty crazy. Um, it was a bad morning. <laughs> <laughs> but I it have, was a fun night, man. It really was. There's one thing that I put on here that uh, that was, took place at, at Milwaukee that I want to make sure we bring up. Do you guys remember um, the karaoke bar in Milwaukee? Yes. We sang Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. And I that was a whole situation with the girl with the cast on her arm in the bathroom. Yep. Uh, okay. I moved karaoke bars to a separate Oh, okay. Okay. Because I, I actually should probably move that to uh, the bars we frequented post college because I realized that where Pat is only including a list of places where he worked for more than a month, I only included places that I've spent more than two hundred dollars. <laughs> it's a pretty long list. All right. So what Josh, you've got the carry oh wait, wait, no, wait. We are at Gen Con to Winter Fantasy. Uh, I wanted to talk about Winter Fantasy because this was uh, the first year it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and the hotel made a serious mistake. Their mistake was advertising $5 pitchers. <laughs> uh, Joe and John and I were headed to Winter Fantasy, and we got lost. Uh, this was before GPS on phones, and we uh, were like six hours late, missed all our, of our events, and we got to the bar the moment it opened. And uh, we had the first two $5 pitchers. Well, it got to a point where we were walking up to the bar with a 20 <laughs> and coming back with two pitchers in each hand. Oh, Jesus. And uh, by about one in the morning, they were out of tap beer, the entire hotel bar. Uh, I vaguely remember Soren arriving, thinking he had to catch up and buying uh, two shots of tequila for everyone at the table. Yep. And I distinctly remember the next morning going out for breakfast, sitting down to the greasiest plate of nasty food, taking one bite and uh, vomiting in the bathroom for like <laughs> a half hour. Oh, Damn. Yeah, that was uh, one of my longest uh, drinking nights ever. Yeah, maybe top five. And yeah, that's a topic for later. I, so think about it now. I want to find out uh, the most drunk all of us have ever been. Oh, oh my God. I mean, is this going <laughs> to be a new so think show? Think about it. We'll get there. Uh, you weren't there for that night. But mm. yeah. No, none of us. I don't think any of us were around for all four of All four of us were. I was going to say, mine was with people who Mike knows, but not with any of you. Yeah, so we'll get to that at the end of the yeah. show. So. Oh, my God. I don't know if I want to tell that story. <laughs> you, can edit it. you can edit it. Yeah. Fix it in post. Okay, so 
Uh, that's a discussion question before we get into talking about karaoke bars in general. What makes a good bar now? Oh, man. I like a bar that is not too loud, I have found. After so many years of working in very loud bars, I really enjoy a bar where you can you can hear a conversation. You can have a conversation without having to raise your voice. Then Ike and Jonesy's doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that place is totally loud. Totally does not. That place is loud. Um, I have to go with Pat, a place where I can enjoy a well-made drink mm-hmm. and have a conversation without having to shout. It's crazy to me for all of the bars I've been to and all of the time and money I've spent in bars. I don't go to them that much anymore. Like the last couple of years, like I'm hanging out with a big group where that's the thing we're doing, or I'm just not going. I, I, once they stopped allowing you to smoke in bars, even though I've been quit smoking pretty close to 10 years now, uh, I, my bar time dropped off dramatically after that. Yeah, I really don't go to bars much anymore myself because I don't drink hardly as much as I used to. I mean, I can still handle my liquor. I found out last time uh, when we hung out with Indy Rick, I found out I can still drink, you know, plenty, you know, and be fine. But um, I just don't enjoy it as much as I do smoking, to be honest. I don't drink like I used to could. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to say it, it's so infrequent that I would even enter a bar that I would agree. It'd have to be someplace that was laid back enough, you know, kind of like um, the beacon was where you could go and you could shoot darts and talk and have a good time together and enjoy each other's company without. And like, if you want to listen to some music, it's going to be at a reasonable level, you know, not to sound like an old <laughs> man, but come on, you know, I mean, I like loud music and I still think some of these bars are way too loud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to assault your ears with the with the sound. Like it's just, it, I mean, if you're at a live concert, that's different. If you're just at a bar hanging out and the DJ is spinning some records, it doesn't need to be at you know, uh, three hundred decibels. You know? Right. Yeah, I remember going to a Wrigleyville bar with a bunch of people I knew, and it was just like it was loud. And aside from the people I knew, I hated everyone there, and it wasn't even good beer. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what am I doing? Oh, yeah. I, it was like, I, I don't want to be that person that, like, after all this planning and all this getting us together, bails in the first five minutes. But I wanted to go home ten minutes in. Like All my, all my uh, bar buddies from Chicago, um, whenever, whenever we get together, you know, there's one guy that always wants to just go back to the same old bars on Division. And, you know, for some reason we do it and all of us are like – why are we here? We hate this. We can't talk. We, you know, we're like standing there all just like, ah, you know, cause we're not 20 anymore. We don't want to, you know, Oh, it's just, it's, it's funny how your, how your, your, your tastes change. I yeah. Was, a couple times a year. All right. So we're going to go into the Pat section before we hit the Josh section. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> so Pat, let's, let's hear the bars you've worked up. Uh, in the now. All right. More bars I've worked at. Um, there was Tavern 33 that was on uh, Lincoln Avenue. Um, that was the, the place where I first learned how to how to be a barista. They had a uh, big old coffee machine and I had to like make espressos and, and lattes and shit for people on top of, you know, beers and, and alcohol. Nice. Yeah. You, um, you so got was, actually you actually touched coffee. That's yeah, crazy. right. Can you can you believe that? Yeah, I know. I mean, and, and it came in handy, you know, uh, later in life as I started working in more steakhouses, knowing how to, you know, I mean, I can actually make espressos and cappuccinos and shit, 
I just don't like the smell of it or the taste. So I'm weird. impressed. Yeah. And then I, uh, for a little while, I worked at the Signature Lounge uh, on the 51st floor of the Hancock Center. Uh, I would I was a waiter who filled in occasionally as a bartender. Um, that was where I, bes- uh, besides the uh, catering job, that was where I waited on or met the most <laughs> celebrities. I waited on Michael Jordan there. Really? Yep. And uh, Richard Daly. The, the Michael Jordan, man. huh? Yep. He was he was uh, he was a really nice guy and a great tipper and just you know he was just very quiet. It was just him and uh, I I think it was his wife. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, then the, uh, moving on to 2002, uh, the Standard Club was a private, uh, uh, private Jewish member only club downtown. <clears throat> so it's not like you know advertised or anything. I uh, stumbled upon that job just through some you know through knowing some people you know, and that was actually a nice job. The the play, um, you know that you know in in the movie Trading Places, the place that um, the Winthorpe brothers go to every day. Yes, that's pretty much what the Standard Club was. It was like this really opulent, nice, you know, play and like ultra rich people. And I, you know, would just you know work their the bar mitzvahs and the birthday parties and then you know and blah blah you know things like that. I was one of the banquet bartenders because oh, they okay. had an actual restaurant, you know, but I didn't work in that. Lots of rich mahogany. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then I got the job at um at Pete Miller Steakhouse up in Evanston, Illinois. Uh. That's an old school uh, supper club type place. And that was when I started working in the steakhouses and I realized how fucking brilliant it is to work in a steakhouse. And if I ever go back into the restaurant industry, I'm never going to work in anything but a steakhouse. <laughs> okay. Well, you work on, you, you wait on less people and you make more money. It's just, I mean, you go, you go from, you know, a $20 average at an Italian restaurant or whatever to like a $70 average per person. It's just math. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. You know, it's like you just automatically make more money because you know every table is spending you know two to three hundred dollars. Huh. Yep. And Pete Miller Steakhouse is um, probably well. When we get to the section of the drunkest you've ever been, I'm going to tell two stories, and one of them is Pete Miller Steakhouse. So. Then I moved from there to Vegas, and that's when I worked at Smith and Walensky on the Strip. Um, Smith and Walensky is just good food all around. Sadly, not anymore. What? Last time I went, I was incredibly disappointed. They've they've kind of fallen, and Aww. the Smith and Walensky on the on the Strip in Vegas is actually closing. Oh my God, that's terrible. Right, but I mean, there, if, if I if I want a really good good steak, I don't go to Smith and Walensky anymore. It's <sighs> sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, and that's the only place I worked uh, beside you know in, in the, I worked also also at um the Monte Carlo as a dealer, but that's the only restaurant job I had in Vegas. Moved to Houston. Um, and I kind of bounced around to a bunch of bars uh, trying to find a place that, you know, fit me. Uh, the stadium, just a you know neighborhood bar. That, uh, <laughs> the owner had a rule that um, that there was no cursing allowed by, what? by employees or customers. If a customer started cursing, I was supposed to reprimand them and tell them it wasn't allowed there. And I was like, well, fuck that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I didn't last too long there. Um, Access was a swingers club. That's a whole nother show. <laughs> Bob's Steakhouse, the worst, worst restaurant bar I've ever worked in. It, I, till this day, believe it was a front for drug smugglers because there's no way those guys were professional restaurateurs. <laughs> and then the movie tavern, which was um, actually pretty cool, but um, it just, it was impossible to make money. 
because nobody tipped. It was Ooh. really sad. It was like one of the very first uh, places where you could drink a beer and eat a eat a meal while watching a movie. Great business plan, but you know people were not prepared to tip people to watch a movie. Hmm. So that didn't, you know, so I didn't last there very long. And then Radiance moved on to Radiance. That's another swingers bar. Houston Dolls, another strip club. And then Club Soho, the last place I've ever bartended at. Um, I haven't bartended in six years now. I've been dealing, you know, dealing all in the poker world. Um, club Soho was the only uh, strictly urban club I ever ever worked at. Um, two buddies of mine bought this club um, as an investment, and I worked in the VIP room because that was the only place that sold bottles, and they needed somebody that they could trust. And as two guys I'd know, I'd known for many years in poker. They had me work in there because, I mean, you're selling bottles for $500 a pop and people are just handing you $500 cash. It's pretty easy to make money disappear. And they, so they needed somebody they could trust. And I started bartending back there for a while. And it was it was really fun and very interesting because it was a completely different uh, atmosphere than I've ever been in or worked in or anything. And it was a lot of it was, it was a lot very eye opening and a lot, a lot of fun in all honesty. I mean. I, I met a lot of NBA players working there because, you know, they during All-Star Weekend, a lot of them came through there. So. JaVale McGee is a giant of a man. Like, if you want to, like, talk about a Dungeons & Dragons type fucking giant, he's fucking – he's seven foot five. And, you know, like, like when he, when he walked through the – When he walked through the double doors, he spread his hands out, and, his, and you couldn't see his hands on either side of the door frame. I have <laughs> his uh, uh, jersey in my, in my closet. <laughs> Right next, is it right next to your Len Bias jersey? No, I'm serious. I do. You have JaVale McGee's jersey. I do. How Bull, do you have JaVale McGee's jersey? Bullshit. For the Post nuggets. it. That's insane. He was my favorite player when he played for the Nuggets. Have you ever like like been to a game and seen him in person? I went to a game. Yes. I he is a giant. They're all yeah. big fucking dudes, though. It's True, like, but I mean, I mean, he's like you know, he's one of the one of the biggest ones in the league right now. I hope to God he was at least a nice guy. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he, at one point he was up on the stage dancing with all the all, all the women and everything towered over everybody. And it just looked really cool because all the women were in white because it was a dance group that had shown up and everything. And he's just standing. He wasn't supposed to be on stage, but he just got up there and like, who's going to, you know, who's going to tell right. that guy he can't do it. <laughs> he just standing in the middle of all of them with his arms up. And he, it looked really cool. It looked like a music video almost. <laughs> but that was the, that was the place uh, just to interject uh, a little racism into this week's podcast. Um that was a place at the end of the night. I was I was the only white male bartender, and then we had one white uh, cocktail waitress, and the rest of the staff was all African American. And at the end of the shift, we're all sitting around, you know, uh, doing our doing our tills, doing our numbers and everything, waiting to go into the office and turn in all our all our cash and all our numbers and everything. And uh, the, one of the one of the bartenders is hitting on the one white girl, and you know, and we're and we're all in the same area, like you know same lounge area sitting together and we can hear it, all the conversations if you're not trying to be quiet, you know, and he wasn't, he was just hitting on her like normal. And, um, and he, he says, well, you know what they say about, you know what they say about going black. And I'm sitting there just counting my money head down, not even thinking. I just go, I said, yeah, you end up a single mother. <laughs> and the whole place just goes quiet. And I look up and, I, and, and, and the guy looks at me and goes, damn, that's cold. <laughs> He's like, that's true, but that's cold. <laughs> and the whole place just laughed. And I was like, like, okay, good. That was funny. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I'm glad that was funnier than, than getting my, you know. Note to self, edit out 41 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat>
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's an, another instance of my mouth saying things that I'm not, you know, even aware I'm going to say. <laughs> Dude. But, that was, but yeah, I mean, that was that actually, I mean, in all honesty, was a, was a fun place to work. And Welcome lasted, to my uh, world. Lasted about six months. So. All right. So karaoke bars. Yeah, I mean, there was this period, and it started with karaoke bars, between about 2004 and about 2009, where I was going to so many bars where if I had not gotten married to Sarah in 2007, I would almost certainly be dead now. And it started uh, for me. Damn it, uh, Sarah. He's (laughs) dead the whole time. Woo! When I started seriously doing karaoke, it was at a bar that my brother was one of the bartenders for called Tudors. And Tudors was an interesting place. By interesting, I mean frequently raided by the cops. (laughs) Because it was the only place anywhere near the LaGrange Brookfield area where they were open till five in the morning. Oh, my God. That is an old liquor license right there. So, yeah. I mean, every every bar on Division Street is a 5 a.m. bar. Yeah, but this is in that southwestern suburb. Yeah, area. yeah, I've seen, yeah. I, over there, not not quite so common. Yeah, and so every drunk fuck would pile in there after last call at all other places, and there'd be fights. I saw a person thrown through a plate glass window. <laughs> they eventually closed it down for being a menace to the community. <laughs> but yeah, I I had my first like serious karaoke run there. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, I ended up hanging out in Oak Park. This would be around the time I was doing uh, improv with Mike. Uh, Haran Snug had a karaoke night that I frequented for many, many years uh, to the point where everybody knew me. There were like seven or eight of us regulars. Eventually, Sarah was a regular there. Everybody knew the songs people were going to sing. Uh, when that kind of started to fall apart, I went to Legends, where I uh, advanced to the finals in a karaoke contest and wasn't able to make it the third night. Oh, that's sad. That sucks, because I think I had a shot at it. Maybe not taking down the whole thing, but top three for sure. Nice. And like some of the KJs uh, out in that area are still friends of mine, and I've been to Kevils. Horror and Snug is now the Duck Fat Inn. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, you know, it was the Duck Fat Inn, and they had to change it to the Fat Duck. Some sort of weird legal thing, like someone else had the rights to the name. Yeah, Horn Snug uh, both had an awesome uh, karaoke setup, and even after it was illegal to smoke in bars, the owners just basically said, stay to the back half of the restaurant and smoke back there. Nice. Um, but when I wasn't doing karaoke, uh, every Tuesday night was dollar beers at Healy's West side on Madison. And as I told you guys, uh, before the show, I was the idiot. Everyone else was drinking dollar beers, but I, I was the beer snob with a $5 Guinness drinking all night with everybody else paying a buck a beer. <laughs> uh, that place, I was there long enough. Two of the bartenders were on my bowling team. <laughs> Uh, Brixie's in Brookfield may be the worst bar on this entire list. I was first introduced to Brixie's because I used to pick up hitchhikers just like if they needed a ride. I didn't care. I'd let them get in my car. And there was this like 
toothless old lady who looked like her skin was made of leather. <laughs> All right. And so when, hang, hang on. I get the. I have to get the uh, time stamp for that so I can use that later. <laughs> uh, yeah. When when she got in the car and I asked where she needed to go, she wanted to go to Brixie. You need to know about Brixies in Brookfield. Oh my God. Yeah, I spent some long, terrible nights at Brixie's. Uh, after the Brixie's and Healy's era, uh, our next regular place was Carol's Next Big Thing in Forest Park, which is a great bar. I've always mm. seen that place, but I never went in. Uh, Carol herself, I don't know if she still works there, but she was an awesome bartender. They had homemade beef jerky behind the bar. There's like... 12 uh, old school, you use a metal tip dart dart boards. There's uh, bean bags out back, two pool tables up front. Like there's just so many activities. There's so much room for activities. <laughs> it's a huge bar and there's always something to do there. Um, all uh, Back to Brookfield, I uh, would hang out at Irish Times for good Irish music, pretty decent mm-hmm. food. And then for a couple of years, I would frequent Lincoln Park, uh, where my big two bars were the Blues Club Kingston Mines. Oh I yeah, love Kingston Mines. Oh, I love the mines. I've been. I, I that's where I uh, took my parents when they were in Chicago. That's one of those places where if I know no one's been to a blues club or no one's been to a blues club in Chicago, I take them to the mines. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like the people that don't know any better go across the street to blues, which is fine. But the Mines is awesome. The Mines always, I mean, always has great acts. We saw Kid Dynamite there. And I used to uh, hang out at a bar just down the street from the Mines called Wise Fools. I'd be there like every Thursday night. Nice. So that that was, those were the the bars that I've definitely spent more than 200 bucks at. I I used to spend a lot of time uh, when I wasn't working um, at, uh, in Wrigleyville at like Sluggers and, um, oh God, I can't, Exodus. Okay, I know him. Yep, places like that. Um, but most of the time, you know, I was always bartending myself. I didn't do a whole lot of time at other bars, but um, there was a place called Trotters, um, which opened at 7 a.m. And we frequently would like close the bar at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. if it was during the week. On Saturdays, it was 5 a.m. And then you do your paperwork, turn, you know, get everything done, go to breakfast at, at the, the West Egg. And then by the time you're done with breakfast at 7 a.m., go over to Trotter's and say hi to Sally and start drinking again. Holy <laughs> just, shit. <laughs> yep. We were alcoholics. We, yeah. we got, well, I'm, I'm just saying, I, as a we whole, were, we got issues. We were less alcoholics and more just flat out drunks really. <laughs> yeah. And that was the thing is I think this period I was talking about was what I, I, there was a lot of flirting, a lot of really short relationships. It was uh, what I would call my pickup artist years right before I met Sarah, a lot of bad decisions fueled by alcohol. And then she made an honest man out of you. Yeah. Both by myself and by the, the women who are around me in those years. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun though. Mm-hmm. Not all of it was fun. Uh, the things that I choose to remember were fun. <laughs> the things that you do remember. No, I remember all of it. I just choose to block out some of it. So Joel has actually owned a bar. What? 
What? The one guy that doesn't drink very much owns a bar. Owns I a know, bar. right? Right. Well, so in 2003, um, I had moved back to Kansas City in 2001. Uh, and got a house. Doing the married life thing. Um, just found out. Um, trying to think around September or so. No, it would have been earlier than that that uh, we were going to have our, our first kid and um, we're having dinner at my parents' house. And my brother's like, I think we should, you know, do something together, get a, open a, a nightclub initially was the thought. Cause he, he uh, used to run two, two of the biggest nightclubs in Kansas city, the Beaumont and fallout, which fallout was a, a kind of a, a dance club with multiple floors. And the Beaumont was a, a country and Western bar that had like, you know, the, the bowl and, they did line dancing and had live music and stuff. So he had, he'd been like Pat, you know, he had a pretty much, that's all he ever did was, was work in bars for most of his life. So if it wasn't restaurants, it was bars. So it was kind of a, you know, he's got the knowledge. So we started kicking around this idea. Well, as time progressed, as we were talking about it, um, and I, to this day, wish that I would have said, no, you know, I don't think I want to do that. Um, but I was like, sure. Sounds like a good idea. So it eventually morphed into the idea of, of opening a bar and grill. So we found this property out in Lake Latawana, which is a small community that's based around a, a lake, obviously. Um, and it's not like in downtown Kansas City or anything like that. It was just a, a, a small community, kind of like a, like a Bolingbroke or Naperville kind of thing. Not Maybe not that affluent, but Naperville, I mean. Um, and so we got this property that used to be a, a restaurant, had a brand new, just beautiful bar in it. And so we went in, his his wife and him, and then Amy and I um, remodeled the whole place. Amy's very pregnant at this point and opened up in November of 2003 for business. And I, we did gangbusters. I mean, just, I was in the back cooking and I learned you know, a lot of the, the recipes that John had kind of taken from his years of experience. And I kind of became the main line cook. He worked the bar primarily. We had, you know, a couple of bartenders that would come in. We had a, um, a dishwasher slash bar back. And then eventually his father-in-law um, came in and, and would help cook on some nights. And, um, you know, it was, since it was such a small community, everybody that came in there was people that they knew each other and you knew, got to know people pretty quickly. And we rented the space from a local, a local guy there who used to come in um, as well. Really great food. Um, we had a lot of, of uh, um, compliments. Yeah. I, I mean, when I cooked, <laughs> people would come in to, to eat when John would cook. Eh, not so much. Um, Cause he, he wouldn't pay attention. He was, he, he had good recipes, but he just couldn't carry them out. And um, I got really good at being a, a, a line cook. And I, I primarily did it by myself. Um, I didn't have anybody else back there except when his father-in-law would come in. And, you know, he was helpful, but I was still running the main, the main line. Um, but we had a lot of uh, a really nice selection of, of alcohol, beer, you know, top shelf stuff. Um, that's the first time I ever had Johnny Walker black red is it blue is that the other one blue yeah um and 
we had a you know like a trivia machine on the end we had bands that would come in uh we even had um uh what was the other thing we did i think we had karaoke at one point didn't go over real well but i mean it was it was crazy because here's a guy that had some restaurant experience never worked in a bar didn't go to bars very often um (laughs) who ended up owning one and uh ultimately that and was the demise of my brother and i's relationship as brothers i haven't talked to him since then um to be honest and um uh, once i left the bar he and his wife continued to run it uh for a while until they just kind of drove it into the ground because as as good as john was at the recipes and he was very personable very kind of the glad handing kind of politician type very good with the customers he had no business sense and i didn't have any business sense i had no idea how to run a business um so eventually it ran into the ground and then got sold to another group that turned it into a pizza place but i, I don't regret it but uh yeah i don't ever want to own my own business again uh but catch 22 was the name of the bar i designed the logo and uh, that graced the menus and yeah yeah owning your own business your own business is is uh is a lot of fun <laughs> it's nice being your own boss, but it's is it, being your own boss. Is it really? <laughs> it is. It's nice being your own boss, but the problem is when you know when your boss is lazy. <laughs> and see, that's just it. I I was there sixteen hour days, um, and I was pretty much the only one that was there from open to close. So, you know, I your ran boss myself into the ground. <laughs> Yeah, my 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 co-owner was very much so. But in his defense, he had a full-time job, and this was my only job. But you know, when you've got an absentee, a half of the ownership, and the other half doesn't know, you know, what to do with it other than how to cook the food and make sure that there's a staff there, uh, it, it it doesn't work. So, but um, I still retain the recipes, and uh, it taught me a lot about multitasking, for sure. I mean- yeah, there, there's a there's a definite skill to being a line cook. I mean, it was a it was a pain in the ass, but I I got really good at it. And and to this day, if I'm making even if I'm making dinner for the kids, you know, I'll make sure that everything comes out at the same time, and it's all done correctly. And hmm. <laughs> there's some plating to it. Yeah, there's presentation. Know. It matters, dude. Yeah. timing first, is everything on that shit. First, you eat with your eyes. <laughs> Um, but I mean, that's, it's, it's, it has, it has become a skill set, and it carried over into my other aspects of life. I mean, my job that I do now, I mean, I have 30 different programs running at once that I have to use on every single interaction I have with a, a member and I've got to be able to manage them all. And I learned that because I ran a restaurant. So there you go. Yeah. Cooking, uh, in general. Well, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> We're talking about bars. Yeah, that's. I just decided that it's just. I'm not going to go down that road. All right, this is a much shorter list since a lot of us have uh, taken our drinking to home if we still drink. But uh, the next item on the list is bars we go to now, also known as mostly the Mike section. <laughs> Mike, where is Mike? I lost Mike. I know I'm here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. I was dealing for a moment. No, I was (laughs) dealing with something. Okay, so here's the thing. In the last ten to fifteen years, I have become a huge um, tiki enthusiast. 
uh, tiki bars such as Halakihiki out in, um, God, I don't even know what town it's in, but it's right off River, right off of uh, River Road. Oh yeah, so <clears> good. Yeah, uh, it's just a little bit north of um, Gene and Jude's. So uh, it is a how to put it. It's been around since like 1956. Uh, tiki bar, large drinks, a lot of times they involve flame. I've really gotten to this thing since I've uh, worked for uh, Trader Joe's. For some reason or another, people who work at Trader Joe's seem to like the tiki side of things. Um, when you're around the Hawaiian shirts every day, it kind of becomes... Oh, yeah. Ingrained. Yeah. So in the recent time, like Halakihiki is a local bar that I've gone to a, once in a while. But because I travel a lot for work, Tiki Cat in Kansas City, it's very cool. Uh, there is a kind, of, a kind of a sports bar upstairs. But you walk downstairs and there's a door with um, palm trees painted on the door. You press the doorbell. You have to get a reservation to get in. They let you in, and you get these wonderfully crafted drinks. So, I've I've leaned towards more of the less of the quick shot type of drinks and more towards the like drinks that have like six, seven, eight, ten different ingredients to it. You like drinks that sneak up on you. Oh yeah. What's your uh, tiki drink of choice? Of choice is one called Don's Don's Grog, and um, hang on, I'm I'm looking up the the recipe right now because it's pretty. Not to be unoriginal, but I would go with a mai tai. See, For me, it's the zombie, which is bad because like. Uh, as much as I can drink, three zombies puts me on the floor. Cause yeah, because it, well, it's topped with 151. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, I'm like, the, at Halakihiki and, and honestly, a lot of, um, a lot of bars will only allow you to have like one or two zombies before they cut you off. As well, they should. Yes. Sa- yes same thing with Long Island. Yeah. 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 So, for some reason, they see me a big fat guy. They're like, eh, he's probably a drunk. <laughs> they'll serve me three zombies so um in the if you go to beach bum berry who is one of the more recent uh tiki enthusiasts it's uh three quarters of an ounce lime juice white grapefruit juice club soda demerara rum jamaican rum white cuban rum a little bit of honey shake with ice string to a glass and then Pour into another uh, glass full of ice. Um, Everything above the rum, I don't like. It it's an interesting drink. Um, the thing is about tiki drinks is that they are extremely complicated. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, complete. And you always have to have special garnishes for each one too. Oh yeah, I was actually out at um, Tiki Cat in Kansas City. And they serve drinks with edible orchids on it. Nice. Yeah. So the other bar that I go to now is... Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining like having to work in a, in a tiki bar. Like your garnish tray would have like 72 slots. Like, <laughs> there, it, a, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. I mean, at Tiki Cat, they, 
the people next to us at the bar got a drink that had a banana that was carved into the shape of a dolphin. Yeah, and, I don't want to do that much prep in my bar. And that's the thing, though, um, is like, you know, if you go from like the sports bar field where you like serving drinks continually to a tiki bar where it's like, here's one drink, but it's in a mug the size of a bucket. Yeah, and it takes five minutes to make. You know. Exactly. And people, I'm, I'm best at the like the speed bartending, or at least I was best at speed bartending, you know, because I would, you know, tell people and people would order a mojito. I'm like, uh, no, we're out of mint. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not making a mojito. Come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm talking about like when I'm slammed. Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, and the other ones are, I mean, because I work for a hotel company, there is a place in in Kansas City. If you ever want to go to a really great, um speakeasy type bar look for ps at hotel phillips um people who have been seen in this bar are everywhere from beck to um god i was talking to one of the bartenders on there and they're like yeah this guy came out and he wanted to play violin for us okay cool he came down he played a set of violin what was his name pete okay was he there for one of the music you know one of the uh, concerts? Yes, he was. Well, what band it was? I don't know. It was a very short name. It turns out Pete Townsend. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He he came in, decided that, he, hey, is it cool if I run up to my room, get my violin, and just play for you guys? And the bartender was like, yeah, cool. So Pete Townsend played at this bar. Another one that they have is Tavernana. There is a... Uh, bartenders out there that really are like solid on really good drinks. So, but enough about that. But if you're in Chicago and you don't go to Halakihiki, you're you're completely missing out. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it is a uh, just north of Gene and Jude's. You can go there. Recently, they're going to have this summer. They're going to have a art show. They have amazing drinks. They're open till two, three in the morning, and it, um, I want to say that if you, if you saw um, Wayne's World, that whole scene, I be, I want to say that this is the place that they were at. But at Wayne's World, when uh, Garth gets a gigantic drink that's got like the um, like almost like a shell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to say that's the place. Probably. I mean, it's an institution. It's in River Grove, but everyone thinks of it as a Chicago place. Oh, yeah. And it started in 19... Well, 1952 is when the people that owned it, they were working at a funeral home. And in 1964, they decided to move from uh, a funeral home to a tiki bar, which makes complete sense, I guess. Take a pair of stiffs to making stiff drinks. Right. There you go. I'll go with you Dang. with that. So uh, Rose and Stan Sikarski are the people that started this, and it's been around since 1964. Uh, still in the same place in River Grove, right off of River Road, just a little bit north of Gene and Jude's. So get yourself some hot dogs, go a little bit north, and get yourself a good stiff drink. Um, some of the other ones... I've got on here are where they go uh, places that I want to go. Hang on, before oh, oh no, brazen head. I have one. Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, back in October. 
you may remember if you were listening to our Octobu, I was missing for a little bit. Yes. That's because I headed over to Ireland and England and frequently we would have uh, breakfast sometimes and almost always lunch and dinner in a pub. So I spent a lot of time in bars, more time in that two weeks than I had in the year previous. But the one that was worth singling out was the Brazen Head in Dublin. The Brazen Head is old enough that people aren't exactly sure how long it's been a bar. Oh, my Local God. Local tradition says that it may have been a bar as early as 1198. Jeez. The first actual documentary proof of it having a liquor license was from 1661. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I went there and I was drinking. Imagine being the guy that lets that lapse accidentally. Oops. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, it's a gorgeous place. Uh, I, I I had a bunch of Guinness. I was in the smoking section, vaping right under a sign that talks about the evils of smoking and drinking, which was great. Yeah. Uh, the food there is really great, but you can just tell just sitting there. It's like the building itself just exudes this place is ancient. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm in a bar that is significantly older than my country. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, and previously the oldest bar I'd been in was Lafitte's blacksmith shop, uh, in new Orleans. Yep. But, uh, yeah, this, this is a couple hundred years at least before Lafitte's. We we can have a a whole another half hour if we start talking about bars in New Orleans because yeah yeah so that was that was my uh, last October story for the Brazen Head it wasn't all that exciting I, I had good food and drank a bunch of Guinness that's pretty cool though, to be in a place that's you know almost a millennia almost a millennia old yeah anybody so, you want to go Mike yeah. what's that I got nothing after that you don't oh. want to go anywhere. Well, okay, places that I want to go. That's what I said. Yeah, um, Tiki Tea is a uh, bar in, out in California. Um, I have. What kind of bar is that? What's go figure? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a sports bar, you dummy. It's a sports bar. Yeah. Whoa! There we go. You bring up the um, bring up the web page right there. I actually have a Tiki Tea fiftieth anniversary mug. There is a place called Forbidden Island out in Oakland, Oakland, uh, San Leandro area. There has, seems to be a lot of tiki bars out there. Forbidden Island is a great place. Trader Vic's, I'm sure you've seen the bottles of Trader Vic's rum and that sort of thing sitting on the shelves. For sure. I want to go to Trader Vic's as well. Oh, yeah. But um, Smuggler's Cove is a... I know we had, we, we had jokingly talked about... Um, Smuggler's Cove earlier, and I had said, I remember I had commented about Martin Kate being a huge uh, mixologist. This is a this is a bar who has won won a uh, uh, I forgot his name something Beard James Beard James Beard Award. It is listed in the Times of London. It's listed as one of the fiftieth fifty great bars on earth. Um. This, wow, yeah. I mean, seriously, they have got. I want to say over eight hundred. Oh, um, look, way uh, eight hundred different varieties of rum. Damn. 
Yeah. I mean, this is a place, this is like a mecca for tiki enthusiasts. They've got drinks that harken back all the way back to the, you know, the age of the pirates, the age of the, um, uh, trading, trading company, something trading company, just lost the name. Oh, I know. Oh, Jesus. I know it until. Yeah. Uh, East India. Thank you. God damn. East India. (laughs) Right. So, um, but the thing is they've got, they've got, um, mixologists there that are making amazingly good drinks, uh, cocktails that, you know, pull upon rums that in, in different recipes and styles of rum that have not been made since hundreds of years ago. And the thing is that what I like about the tiki bars is that you can, you can be there. I mean, you can go to a sports bar and you can drink beer all night. You can go to go to another bar and do shots all night. You can go to a tiki bar and get two drinks and be fine. I mean, and it'll, it'll last you all evening. Those two drinks. Too. Oh yeah, completely. Because one, they're huge, and two, I mean, I'm looking at um, like the uh, Planters Punch. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different ingredients just to that one drink. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that I like is there. It's not just pouring something into a into a glass and handing it to you. They right. they really take a lot of respect and a lot of pride in the drinks that they produce. And it's two totally different types of bartending. It's like it's you know, and I like doing both of them. It's just a matter of you know when you try to mix one with the other. It's you know like there there's the bartending where you're being a mixologist, you're crafting a drink and everything, and there's the one where you're just slinging drinks and getting people drunk. Well, yeah, like you said before, when you like where you're up at the uh, manhole. Yeah. Or, you know, you're just cracking beers and handing them out, whereas. I mean, like, they have a drink at Smuggler's Cove that's original to them called the Port Royal, which is rum, jerk season simple syrup, lime, and I don't know what this means, but house-made hellfire tinchaker. Hmm. So I, I, I like the complexity of the drinks. I like the fact that they're, these guys who make the drinks are, like, 100% into it. Yeah. And it's 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 the craft that I like. So I mean, and that's and that's one of the things. And and a lot of the I mean, I, people that do not know, uh, that are kind of familiar with the show, is that before forty going on fourteen, I did a show called Tiki Geeks, where we would talk about tiki culture and geek culture and that sort of thing. But it's it's just really nice because one of the things about tiki bars is you go in there and. There's no windows. You're completely cut off from the rest of the world. You can relax, sit down, have a good time, and just let it go. So, I mean, I have a list of tiki bars that I want to go to and just, like, check off on the list type of thing. But Sure. Yeah. So, and after that, Diatribe, Drunkest... Well, Patrick had his question. Yes. The drunkest you've ever been from being in a bar. Because, I mean... We can all stay home and get drunk, you know. Oh yeah, that's nothing. The topic I mean, is about bars. Look yeah, at me but right now. The drunkest I've ever been was in a bar. Oh god. Take the mic, sir. Um, it was a birthday celebration at the exit in Chicago on Division. Oh my god. <laughs> so if you don't know the exit, 
uh, on its tamest, it's bikers and goths. Um, it's got a fetish night. It's a 5 a.m. bar. It's mm. yeah, it's a little extreme. Mm. I was there uh, with a couple of Starbucks <clears throat> baristas for okay. one of their birthdays. And uh, one of them had noticed that I was already five Guinness down. So she decided that she was going to buy me uh, Guinness and tequila until 5 a.m. or I fell over. 5 a.m. came first. Oh. 17 pints of Guinness and six shots of tequila. Oh, Jesus Christ. How are you still alive? He's Worse not. Worse than that, sir, in one of the most spectacularly poorest decisions of my life, I drove home. I don't know how I drove home. I have a vague recollection in the early morning hours of standing in a playground peeing. <laughs> Just in the middle of a playground. Peeing. Like 5.45 in the morning. I don't even think the playground was on my way home. <laughs> it was in Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was the drunkest I'd ever been. Oh my god, Joel. See, the drunkest I've ever been didn't involve a bar. So I'm trying to think if there was an ever an instance at a bar where I got completely shit faced hammered, and I I don't think I did. I mean, I would get tipsy occasionally at bars, but never fall down puking sick drunk. Uh, so yeah. Um, I'll tell my two stories and then we can finale with Mike's. Oh God. <laughs> um, it's the time between two different stories. One of them was, uh, like within the first month of me starting to work at the clubs downtown on division, um, I had a Saturday off and decided, you know, to take my roommates down to, to the new bar that I worked at and being the new guy and everything, everybody started buying me drinks and plying me with shots and everything. And, uh, I got so completely trashed that my roommates almost left me on the L when we <laughs> when we got to our stop. They were like, man, I think we should just leave them here because I had puked all over myself and the L and everything. And I heard them in the back of my mind. I was like, no. And I stood up and ran out with them and, and stumbled home. Um, so that was one of the drunkest or that it was that one or the time. It was my very last uh, night at Pete Miller's in Evanston. It was one of my last nights in Chicago. Um, everybody knew I was moving to Vegas. And so like my last night of working at this, this restaurant, everybody stayed after and we just kind of partied and drank and I got so drunk. I had to leave my car and I called Angela and said, you got to come pick me up. And as she's driving home, she's going like 20 miles an hour and I'm screaming at her to slow down. <laughs> so those two were probably the drunkest I've ever been in a bar. All right. Uh, so, Okay. Gen Con, I don't even know what year. All I know is that at one point or another, the people that are, I was with hired a homeless guy by paying him 20 bucks to help carry me back to the hotel. <laughs> and he didn't even do it. Nope. It, it was, it was another one of my friends decided that he was going to be safe and take my wallet, which had my, um, hotel key card in there so when we got to the hotel the hotel wouldn't let me in because it didn't have a key and i had no idea and the, and the other drunken idiots that i was with 
were not a good reference for this situation. <laughs> um, I remember waking up, opening my eyes for a split second, closing my eyes, and then my brain said, you're in an emergency room. <laughs> you And I actually have somewhere in one of the boxes that I have, has a, I have a wristband from an emergency room that just says John Doe. Because I didn't have an ID. Everybody else who was with me was so drunk, they did not know my name. They could not remember my last name. And I had I had a moment where I said, I've made bad life decisions. <laughs> and have cut down on the amount of drinking that I do at Gen Con. Um, yeah, that's an eye-opening moment. Wake, yeah. Waking up in the ER labeled John Doe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was, it You're was. Like, ah, maybe I need to reevaluate some shit. I, I I need to take a take a step back and relook at my things. And one of the guys that I was with, um, I texted them and they were like, "I'm so sorry that you guys had to do this." Blah blah blah. And they're like, "Dude, we have got the best story ever about last night." <laughs> Apparently, if you want to take me down. You have to give me three black and tans, two rum and cokes, and 17 Jaeger bombs. Jesus. Yeah. And that will um, apparently put me in the ER. I have not drunk that much since. I have will not drunk drink that much ever. Uh, that it, that was, like I, like I said, an a, um, eye-opening moment for myself. But, uh, yeah, that is the drunkest I have ever been in my life. All right. I don't know how much alcohol it takes to take me down because the only times I've ever really gotten that drunk, I completely lose track of how much I've drank because that's how much it takes. <laughs> the trick is to have somebody else counting for you. Right? Yeah. Mm. Because, I mean, I mean, I'm not, this is not like a, a humble brag or anything. It's not meant as that. But, like, you know, the night we were, we were with Indy Rick at the end of the night, I mean, I was maybe two-thirds to half drunk. I wasn't even, you know, so I don't know how much it takes because I can't count. I mean, I lose track if I get that drunk. Oh. <sighs> And it's too expensive. I just don't do that. I'd rather get high. <laughs> well, and that honestly has something to do with it. Like, it's loud. There are people I don't like at bars, and it's cheaper to drink at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, with the amount of alcohol it takes you know, for me to feel it, it's just cheaper to buy a six-pack or whatever and just, you know, just drink casually and just smoke. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, the advent of the craft beer movement has definitely shifted. Like, last week when we were doing the podcast – I drank a bottle of wine. And I'm like, why am I not tipsy? And at the end of the night, I realized because this wine is half the strength of my typical beer. Yeah. So, yeah, alcoholism. How about that? How about <laughs> it? <laughs> so, yeah, these are the bars we've been to. Um, we probably will still keep going to new ones. I know this does not this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. There are, city, oh, no. there are entire cities we've left out from our travels and from whatever. Um, if there's anything that uh, you guys think we missed, call us. Yeah. No. Yeah, give us a call at 708 now wrap. That's 708-669-9727. Yep, and uh, look for us for next week when we are doing a topic called Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. Lethal yeah. Weapon. Yes. Uh, there is a TV show called Lethal Weapon out there somewhere. So it's on its fourth season, I think. Fourth season, really? It just finishes third, yeah. Huh. yeah. If, it gets, if it gets renewed, it'll be going into its fourth. Wow. 
That's crazy pants. All right, yep. so uh, lethal weapon for next week, and like like they said, give us a call if you have any comments to make, and uh, we will talk to you then. Bye bye. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, so this year's theme, year, week. Wow. <laughs> Five, four, three. three, two, one. All right.